for the baddest, meanest, toughest wrestling you'll ever see. Going everyone, Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to number 85, Joe vs. the World, continuing the 10-year celebration of Joe vs. the World. I have two enormous guests tonight. Our first guest is the voice of WWN Live, a former creative assistant in uh, NXT, contributes to Fighting Spirit Magazine, so many more things, Rob Naylor, Rob, how are you doing? Highspots.com, and oh, that's if right. you ask people in Dallas to pull me aside at the Hyatt Regency Hotel... Clearly, I'm only really known for my Twitter. So, uh, how's it going, everybody? I'm uh, I'm Rob. And uh, also joining us right now, the the host or co-host of two of the best podcasts going, Between the Sheets and 605, the Super Podcast, also contributes to F4W Online, Death and Taxes, maybe Fighting Spirit Magazine? Still? Yep. Sure. Yes. We'll say so. Uh, David Bix and Span Bix, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm ready to talk global again after That's nine right. years. I was going to say, ten years later, I have a YouTube show, so all of us just on a rocketing path of fame and fortune here. But as uh, Bix alluded to, one of our uh, most popular shows ever was episode 49, a deep dive into the history of the Global Wrestling Federation. So when anything is successful after ten years, what do you do? <laughs> just slap a few extras on it, you re-release it, which is what we're doing here. We're revisiting the, uh, the, uh, the history of the beloved Global Wrestling Federation. So, I guess uh, we should explain for the uninitiated just what was the Global Wrestling Federation. Is that my job? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you. So, the Global Wrestling Federation was... I'm trying to think, how do you, what do you compare it to? I feel like we almost have some better analogs right now. I guess it's like Global Force Wrestling only 25 years ago. And without, yeah, the, and without the gold. Well and, it, well, and it had TV. Uh, yeah. But... I guess the comparison besides the name and all that is the it's a promotion you heard about for like a year before it actually existed. Mm-hmm. In that, at the time, so this is 1991, there's a lot of like, uh, oh, I don't want cartoon wrestling and blah, blah, blah among your smart fans, especially because Jim Hurd is in charge of WCW and people don't like what he's doing and that whole thing and you know all the stories that are coming with that. So, Joe Pettacino, uh, right after being fired or by or quitting WCW, he, had, he was the guy behind pro wrestling this week and ran a marathon-length block every Saturday night on one of the Atlanta independent stations of all sorts of different wrestling shows. He was approached by a Nigerian gentleman named Mr. Olu Oliami, who would provide him with $25 million to start a pro wrestling company. And... We'll get into more of the details later, but suffice to say, Mr. Oliami did not have $25 million, and Pettacino scaled down his initial plans, bought the uh, time slots that the USWA had for their shows out of Dallas on ESPN and syndication, and started this kind of like new promotion at the Sportatorium, which is now the Global Dome, and there was a lot of new talent. 
that wasn't the usual Texas talent, and then quickly it became too expensive, and they just kind of became a Texas indie. And we'll talk about that in much more detail in the next eight hours. <laughs> Give or take, yes. So, Rob, what was your initial thoughts when you – how did you come across the Global Wrestling Federation? All right, I have so much to say after that last bit, because I don't even think – even if we talked about this ten years ago, I am pretty much uh, – have selective memory, so I don't remember. I didn't even realize that was indeed the backstory on this whole thing. Uh, I knew Olu Oliami, and I obviously knew Benicino had his hands in it, but I love that story. Uh, about five months ago, someone came up to me, and it was a couple second-generation talents, and they're like, Nails, we got to bring you in as the new booker. Uh, there's a 10 billionaire, not a 25 millionaire, a 10 billionaire was the exact quote. 10 billionaire who's starting up a promotion, and uh, here's all the names involved, and, and damn it, you should be part of this too. And after I got done laughing, I, and obviously it's not come to pass, and I, I don't think it ever will. And it, it's one of those things where we talk about Global uh, Wrestling Federation and the Global Force Wrestling, where it's like global like, the Global Wrestling Federation was a real thing. It, 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 was a re- it wasn't just, like, this thing that everyone talked about for a long time, for, like, five years, and then, like, they had a couple of house shows. And, and my friends work for Global Force Wrestling, so awesome. Anyone that gets paid from it, great. But, like, it's not a real thing. Like, it's, it's, it's really not. It's just, like, it's, 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 totally, it's not a real thing. And, and, like, I remember when I first was done with WWE, like, Dr. Tom is like, oh, I can talk to him. I'm like, no, it's not a real thing. I like real, tangible things. And it just, it's it's not a real thing. It's an awesome, <laughs> it's an awesome wrestling league. And God bless Poughkeepsie and Harrisburg and all the places they run and the farm show. But I, yeah, I love everyone there. I'm just saying it's not a real thing. However, Global Wrestling Federation was totally a real thing, and I loved it. I didn't know a year ahead of time about it. I didn't read newsletters until 93, so I only knew that, uh, I only knew that, like, Flair left, and it was a weird summer, and that a lot of the characters were getting wackier in my lovely NWA, WCW, and then out of nowhere, you know, uh, gee, I can call it a GFW, GWF. Yeah, that'll be a common problem no, during the, the show. The global Just call it global. Federation. Just call it yeah, global. global. One is global, global, the other is global force. Yeah, That's how we make a distinction. Legitimate global, and then obviously synthetic global. So legitimate <laughs> global was it was just like wow, this is crazy, and I really liked it, and I liked the vibe of the promotion. I was very I want we all. I'm not gonna say we all, but. All of us NWA people, we all were, like, anti-WWF, so they kind of had a little bit of an attitude to them that they weren't cartoon bullshit wrestling. I can cuss on this, right? Uh, Absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, So they weren't, like, bullshit wrestling. It was actually going to be, like, uh, you know, stars from international places. I remember slightly before Global started, uh, USWA got – not really kind of wacky, and they did like a TV taping with like Doc and Gordy against Chris Germany, and well, 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 random... that was the global pilot. Oh, get out! See, look yeah. at you. I love the Bix has all this awesome news because <laughs> like they did this random thing, and I remember in Cornette, and I really enjoyed it. 
but like I thought it was still USWA, so I wasn't quite sure. But it was it was clearly different than like Bill Dundee, Doctor Tom Pritchard, you know Jeff Jarrett. I love that he keeps getting brought up, and uh, you know Eric Embry that I'd watched for eighty seven weeks in a row prior on USWA TV. <laughs> and you know I like El Grande Pistolario and you know uh, Dan Davis as much as anyone else, but I was tired of it. I wanted something different and something fresh, and this was different and fresh. Uh, the pilot, obviously, and then when it showed up on ESPN, I lost my mind because I was just like, whoa, Rip Rogers and, and Scotty the Body and Muck and Sing and, and Steve Simpson. Yes, one of those things is not like the other, but I enjoyed <laughs> them all, and the Lightning Kid was awesome and blew my mind, and, and Conan, Chris Walker, because I was reading all of these things. Uh, Georgia All-Star Wrestling was kind of like a hot little deal in the aftermath. So, like, I knew guys like Mike Shervick and Van Hammer and uh, the fabulous Fabian and Festus and Billy Black and Joel D. So I knew all these names. I knew they were associated with uh, with our friend, the Round Mountain Sound. Yeah, so uh, it was just cool. I, I liked it. I, I didn't think – I didn't – I was a fan of the Patriot and that he was a big jacked-up dude with a cool mask. But, like, he really – in hindsight, I don't think he was very good – uh, but not I was yet. into it, you know. Yeah, some uh, tours in all Japan would certainly help, and he was uh, he was good by the end. Sure. But now, as you said, this was on ESPN, and it was on five days a week, which I guess sounds it sounds crazy on the surface, but five one-hour shows is equivalent to what the WWF does, and uh, the way they had formatted it originally was just endless tournaments, so it was always kind of fresh and kind of just kept kept moving. Yeah, and by the way, I just got to say to Rob, I love that he went with the period appropriate Dan Davis as opposed to Danny Davis. <laughs> I used to love that Michael St. John would go, and next, the nightmare Danny Davis. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, it's just the way they presented it all. Like, I remember I pulled Doc aside, and I'm just like, Doc, I love you. I love the heavenly bodies. I love the Southeastern stuff. But I'm like, if I ever watch you and Bill Dundee or Danny Davis and Eric Embry again, I'd shoot myself in the fucking head. Uh, it's just, it, there was so many matches, it was, like, very headlock-based, especially in Texas with the hard-ass ring. So it was like, oh, I didn't enjoy any of them. And then I saw later on in life, uh, the Internet got a hold of those matches, and, like, everyone was like, yeah, I loved it. Oh, great work, great. And then I, I can't. I'm sure they're fantastic. I can't go back and watch it. It, just, it would hurt me a lot in ways I don't like to talk about. But uh, I'm sure, I like all those guys. If you... Like, if you give me some Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell and throw Sam Houston in there or Danny Davis and Ken Wayne, cool. But, like, man, that, that little trifecta of, or four or five people against each other killed me. But, uh, yeah, Dan Davis, Bix. That, that was his, that Nitro was Dan Davis. Nitro Dan Davis, that's right. He was the original Nitro, not the Monday one. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like when uh, Martellaro told me, that uh, I couldn't name anyone with an X in it anymore because there would be different, there could be some confusion between the name uh, Xavier and the brand name NXT. And I'm like, of course there could be. Of course there could be. I'll, uh, I'm sure, I'm oh so God. sorry I dared suggest someone be called Xanadu. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it's unbelievable. But I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I Xanadu would totally clear legal. It yeah. totally would, let me tell you. But anyway. Uh, Anyway, I'm sorry, I had to go off on a tangent. 
Oh my goodness! So uh, it wouldn't be a show with the three of us. Yeah, I know. Yeah, if no one. No, <laughs> five minutes. You all know what we're in for. Yeah, here. some things haven't changed in ten years, which is nice. That is nice, I suppose. So, so I guess where do you want to proceed next? Should we talk about uh, the roster? Should we talk about uh, kind of the the impetus behind the federation? Yeah, I want to talk about the pre-global wackiness. So yes. I went through my collection of MatWatch newsletters. MatWatch was the newsletter that Steve Beverly put out every week between summer of 88 and the very beginning of 92. And because he was a guy... <coughs> professional. He was a guy who worked in TV and still does and had a more TV perspective for his newsletter. And honestly, I like it better than The Observer for that period. But he was friendly with Joe Petticino, so the best stuff about Global, at least before Global actually starts, in MatWatch. And you've got a bunch of different interviews with Joe Pettacino and stuff like that. And actually, I put together a PDF that I sent to both of you so you can follow along. But I'm looking at the first thing, and it's MatWatch exclusive, and this is from the September 10th, 1990 issue. Pettacino reveals plans for new promotion. And... Where do we start? And so, after several meetings, I agreed to become chief executive officer of a new company called Kongi Sports and Entertainment. One of the major co- divisions of Kongi will be a wrestling organization. Uh, all the usual stuff about how we want to bring wrestling back to whatever. How much money are we talking about in financial backing, Joe? And that uh. let me put it this way: we don't have twenty-five million yet. We're just we're not giving numbers yet. It's here, what he says is, let me put it this way, I've been guaranteed enough money to do it right. We've heard figures ranging in value from 7 to $20 million. Are those accurate? The initial funding is through a letter of credit with an international bank. With the letter, this is letter, the initial funding through a letter of credit with an international bank is for an amount more than you just quoted, and I would prefer to leave it at that. An international bank with an Nigerian, a letter of credit with an, an international bank for my Nigerian investor. Mm. Yes. Yes. This all happened before the internet, everybody. Imagine if, like, Olu Uliami is Uha Nation's uncle or something. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, when Uha Nation came down here, everyone was trying to name him. And I remember they asked me for a name. And I'm not even working there anymore, but why not? So I'm just like, oh, I'm like, you should be uh, Omar. Omar's a kind of... Angry, you know, angry name, and I'm like, you should be Omar Okoye, because Christian Okoye is the Nigerian <laughs> nightmare. And I just thought it was like a tough-sounding name, and I got, oh, it's too black. You can't do that. So then, of course, <laughs> they end up naming him what they name him. I just laugh. I'm like, that's not black at all. Uh, they could have called him, like, Rashid Rashawn Johnson. <laughs> it might have been, like, the equivalent. But, uh... <laughs> I just remember thinking, wait, it's too black? Like, that's, that's absurd. But, uh, yeah. What, what is his name? Uha Nation's name? Apollo oh, Cruz. There we go. Apollo Cruz. There it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but as, uh, as Vic pointed out on, uh, on Twitter, any wrestling federation with global in the title tends to involve some kind of scam. Hey, check this out. The original global. Do you remember the original global, Vic? Yes, in with, Florida. Uh, it was Penny Bob Stock. Warner. Yeah, Bob Warner, who I think was a baseball guy, if I'm not mistaken. I just remember it was in Wrestling Inquirer and Pro Wrestling Illustrated for like one week so I, or one month so I knew about it. But I remember there was this, this, like you said, Penny Stocks Wrestling Federation, and nothing ever came of it that I know of. And I'm sure, of course, you know more about it than I do, but I find it fascinating 
that there is always some kind of weird, unique scandal around all these globals. <laughs> well, okay. So they did run TV, like, on and off for a while, and I'm trying to remember who was involved. There was Bob Roof, oh, one Bob of the main Holly. guys was named Was Bob Holly there? Bob Holly was in that, yeah. That's the only name I really remember. Bob Holly was involved in the original Global. There was a guy named Patrick Schaefer. Solely was involved at the beginning, but then he left, and they called him an alcoholic on TV. <laughs> um, Jumbo Beretta, of course. Rusty Brooks, of course. The Malenko. Stop it! Oh, my God, real quick. Jumping in here, because I have to. Rusty Brooks is a dear friend of mine these days down here in uh, South Florida, and I hit him up like, Tim Powerhouse Parker stories and stories about Pat Rose and everything else. Wow, look at that. Rusty Brooks was involved. Bix, your knowledge always just floors me. But go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, like, I remember one of their things was they had good production values or whatever. But, yeah, their big thing was, like, the first publicly traded pro wrestling company. But it was penny stocks, and it didn't go well. And actually, actually before them, even, and Gunkel had a global wrestling where, okay, so you know how when she was on 2020, on the 2020 with the, you know, Dr. D slapping uh, Stossel mm-hmm. and sure, Jim Wilson and Annie Mansfield, she's on there like, I, I tried to promote San Diego and, and they wouldn't let me and blah, blah, blah. And I, you're watching that thing, like, and Gunkel, San Diego? So she started this promotion, Global Wrestling, where she tried to, I don't know who she would have even dealt with, like the LaBelle's or whoever, to run in San Diego, or maybe it was even Vince by then. And she got shut out, and she did this all so she could have grounds for a lawsuit to sue with, like, racketeering or whatever. So, yes, every single global wrestling is not only a national startup attempt, but it's also a scam of some kind. (laughs) Well, except the good people of the GFW. (laughs) It's completely on the level. (laughs) That's why I buried it earlier. i got to say nice things now. Well, actually, wait, I don't know how Luke and Rob stays. Wait, so have you seen Global Force Gold? What is it? Oh, my. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. Okay. It's a what appears to be a pyramid scheme that Jeff is promoting on the website. Like, if you go to the Global Force website, there's this big top over ad that's like, click here for Global Force Gold. And then it's this website where it's like, join Team Jarrett. And it's this pyramid scheme for selling these, like, credit card-sized cards that have a gram of gold in the middle. And That's like some Teddy Hart shit, that, the alleged pyramid scheme, <laughs> and I'm throwing the A-word in, but it's fascinating to me, because every time I just see Jeff Jarrett, he's usually at a convention with, like, these two, like, you know, 17-year-old kids wearing cowboy hats or some shit, and it's like, just like, what's happening here? But, uh, no, I don't know about, I thought Global Force Gold, I thought they had TV or something, but no, it's, it's far different than that. Uh, good for them, I guess, as long as Christina Von Eri can keep being the white heavyweight women's champion or whatever, fine. But, uh, <laughs> Is that like the WCW women's cruiserweight title? You know what? I saw, I saw a photo today of the two girls that were involved in the match on, uh, WCW main event, and one of them is my dear friend, Malaya Hasaka, so I'll have to ask her about that. Yes, she was in the I, tournament. Yeah, who knew? I didn't know that. <laughs> she hit one of the hardest chops last Friday on Shine Wrestling, WWNLive.com. And I was just like, wow, you know, Malaya Saga is still doing it. But uh, it's fascinating. I didn't recall her being in that match until today. So it's, it's interesting. But, yeah, the G, the, the global name, let's just face it. And I'm going to throw this in real quick. Steve Beverly's Matt Watch was indeed a fine publication. I didn't get it. I, didn't, I just knew his name from the WCW hotline. But when I finally... After the fact, my, my friends in, like, 94 gave me all these Matt Watch annuals, and the one with Cactus Jack on it is the man of the year. It's just one of my favorite, and it's 1991, obviously. That thing is amazing. 
it's such a great read. It's one of the all-time great uh, bounded books on wrestling, as weird as that sounds, because the interviews are great. It reminds me of, like, when the Torch Talks were really good in the early to mid-90s, where I'd like to have, like, all of those, actually. Because a lot of that is just all lost now. But uh, those are excellent. And the, the Matt Watch with Steve Beverly, he was, he was excellent. And he obviously had the different sources. And it was a lot of the Georgia guys, so there's a little bit of a slant to it. But very enjoyable read. And uh, they were all my favorite, like, people involved. So it, it was a, g- a good time. And if you don't have it, uh, I don't know what means you go about finding in the old Matt Watch annuals, but they're definitely worth uh, seeking out. Yeah, the thing with the 91 annual is that uh, Steve stopped doing the newsletter like around the end of 91, <laughs> beginning of 92, so the 91 mm. annual is his big farewell. And I would say the second half or so is devoted to just all these stories about this, all the stories that he's reported on in Matt Watch, like the biggest stories. Yeah. And he gives you like, information that he didn't report at the time, too, with yeah. some of it. So it's really cool. Just lots of weird, obscure stuff you've never heard heard of in there. So that that one I actually I actually just got a new copy of it to get scanned. I literally uh, over the weekend. So sweet, interesting timing there. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with the Global Wrestling Federation or not. I think actually, you know what they did. Uh, there were rumors I think that Steve Beverly was going to be the announcer, the lead announcer. They wanted him to, and they decided not to. Real quick about that, though, now that you got into it. Uh, okay. Some names we'll get into here. And, this, again, we know these people now, so it's going to be an interesting and different show. But, uh, obviously, you know, Joe Petticino, Bonnie Blackstone, and uh, who I, I jokingly tried it a little bit in our last show, but they're money. Like, they were great. Uh, who else? Uh, Craig Johnson, uh, yep. solid guy. Uh, and then, you know, you had... Uh, Scott, Scott Hudson, Hudson Baldy Locks. Who's fantastic. Yes, Baldy Locks, Scott Hudson. And a person who's my, my buddy now on, on Facebook and, and who I always loved, Stephen DeTruth or Steve Frazak. You know, yep. he was he was fine in his role as like a miniature Paulie for the organization at the time. But uh solid group, you know what I mean? Like you can't go wrong with any you need a good foundation and, and broadcast wise, you know, I thought I thought they had some, some good names there. And they put uh Scotty Anthony on there a lot too and, and he oh, was obviously tremendous. he was money. He was so motivated at the time, he had all the one liners and quick quips and and uh he I think a lot of people uh people talk about Raven and Raven's great, but the my favorite thing he ever did was his run in Portland and his run for Global because he was so hungry and uh, and when Dusty saw him, Dusty just saw nothing but dollar signs because, uh, you know, Scotty the Body was just great. You know, Bill Watts didn't see the same, but, you know, it's just like, I remember when Scotty the Body went to WCW, I thought, this guy's going to be world champion. And he was undersized, but, like, he was just awesome. If you find the um, Eddie Gilbert Handsome Stranger <laughs> match, which has... Uh... Sky the body on commentary is tremendous. Like I, just the one line is flying. He says uh, he calls the stranger the FTD florist because he's handing out uh, roses. Say he's a garbage man from New Jersey. He calls Scott Hudson Hudson Hummingbird for some reason. And years and years later, when Hudson went to um, WCW Saturday Night tapings and someone wrote up a report, that was his nickname. I never knew why until I rewatched that match. I remembered. I remember Scotty said, and this that's so weird. You remember these random things years later. He goes. 
I don't really think he's handsome, but he sure is stranger than everyone else. And it's like there's all these little things that he would say that are so funny that you remember for no like so many years later. I remember he said that Scott Hudson got a crew cut and the crew never came back. And he always said so. And he does the same again. I've done no preparation. I've not watched these tapes in 20 years. Just remember these things. Like he he just was so smart and savvy and fun and fresh, as opposed to all the other cookie cutter heels that were out at the time. But uh. Yeah, the uh, the infamous Karate, not the Karate Vice, I'm sorry, the Cartel was a great group. The Cartel. They had overlap with Karate Vice. Sure. <laughs> there you go, then. They certainly did. But and, what, a, uh, what a contingent. By the way, we've got an update from the October 1st issue of Matwatch. Pedicino Groups gains major credit line. Kongi Sports Entertainment, the internationally backed group headed by ex-NWA producer slash personality Joe Pettacino, has been granted a $25 million line of credit to start a pro wrestling company. Pettacino received a fax copy of a letter to his chief investor Thursday. <laughs> the quote, the $25 million will be available for any and all startup costs, including the procurement of wrestling talent, television operations, and necessary executive personnel. In a brief statement... Pedicino told Matt Watch, the money is in the bank. It is secured by a national trust based in California, which regularly provides funding for the Kanye investors. <laughs> well, so this should erase all doubts. We'll be funded well enough to get going if we decide to do this. Well, hmm. uh, let's, let's, let's. It's just, just so obvious in hindsight. Yeah, let, let's do something real quick. Uh, so those first groups of shows, like we don't, we don't have them. In, I don't have them in front of me, but like the tournaments. You yeah. you look at the name, like the first tournament was the uh, the, the North American tournament. TV title. Right? Yeah, the I'm TV sorry. title was first. The TV's first, and you got Buddy Landell, and and you've got the Patriot, and you've got Randy Rose, and you have all these different humans, or Bill Irwin, <laughs> and, and it's a it's such a unique hodgepodge of people. I would just I would uh, access the demolisher for Christ's sake, but I'd love to have been just like a fly on the wall when the talent selection was done, and see who pulled for who, why someone else was there. Uh, it, it just is such a weird, unique collection of human beings. Like Vic, name some more people. I'm sure you might know more, and they'll come back to me. But like. That tournament oh, I have, so uh, strange. Well, I pulled. Yeah, pull, you guys like uh, Billy Black? I know Billy he had like you know. Fantasma out of nowhere, indeed. And he you sucked. Have, uh, like I'm, I'm not yeah. saying he sucked, but like I remember thinking Luchadors. So I'm like, hell yeah, this is gonna be some circus shit. And then like it was just like this guy that didn't do any circus shit that I remember. Yeah, let's have, let's think about this for a second. The loot of the two, of all the Luchadors they could bring in. They bring in Phantasma, who's not terrible, but isn't great. Yeah, he wasn't spectacular. And Tini Ablos. As, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> not even as Tini Ablos. Wow, see, I didn't even realize that. Look at that. Another oh, wait, thing I'm I trying to remember. Was it Senior or Junior? <laughs> Did he have the Silver Mask or the Gold Mask? I'm thinking it had to be Senior, eh? I don't know. He moved like Senior, in my opinion. How uh, they, they should have brought a Luce with him. Oh, man, I love Luce. Can you imagine a Luce in Global? I Stop it. I don't want to. That's a world I don't want to even <laughs> delve into. I, I, I want to see a Luce in fucking Global Force Wrestling, the GFW. <laughs> you get to have them handing out fucking credit cards or something. I don't know. 
<laughs> but anyway, uh, big bully music. I, yep. Yes, big bully music. I was really excited for you know, and and that excitement was not reached. But when you read about him in the after aftermags, you know, you're for, you were on board with big bully music, and then you saw him wrestle and. Big Bully Music was an interesting character. He looked apart, so good for Adrian, him. Adrian Street and his arch rival, British Axel Rotten. That's <laughs> true. Yep, I remember Adrian Street. I was excited for his arrival. Yeah, I think Terry Tate office linebacker yes. as Rasta the Voodoo Monster. Yes, That's but I love, right. I love that they built up this whole elaborate backstory for Adrian Street and Axel Rotten that they had been feuding for years in England. And, and that I remember, like when they had their tournament match, that Axel comes out to Adrian Street's entrance music. You know, what, one of one of Adrian's songs that he sang, like you know, imagine what I could do to you, or one of those songs. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole thing that he stole his entrance music, like it's Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan or whatever. Wow. And well, this was to be a global wrestling federation. It's truly it? global in sco- scope, as they told us every True. five minutes. <laughs> and but you know what's what's crazy about? Uh, oh God. Let's talk about, first of all, the worst wrestler of all time is Rasta the Voodoo Man. I don't know if anyone knows it. Ramon, I'm sorry. It's Rasta the Voodoo Man. The Voodoo Man. He was so dog shit terrible. Like, I remember thinking, I saw Eligante the year prior or right around the same time, and I'm just like, I don't, I wasn't smart to anything, but I just knew that both of these people didn't know what they were fucking doing. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, even at that time, I just thought to myself, Eligante's pretty bad, but he's not as bad as Rasta the Voodoo Man. And I, I, I stay with that, I, that opinion stays with me. And good for Terry Tate, he found something and exploited it, and he's doing great. Or Terry Crews, I'm sorry. No, that's not <laughs> Terry Crews. No. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo Crews, I don't fucking know. Anyway. <laughs> then he sued WCW and got a million bucks at least out of that, so good on him for that. Wow. Well, well, there you go. He didn't right. work there, too. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah, how's that happen? I'm just fascinated by all of this. Such a such a wellspring of information here tonight. Right. So, of course, well, there was the global kayfabe, too, which I think we got to talk about if we're talking about the term. Sure. So... The whole, uh, the backstory, the GW okay. backstory. Gotcha. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay, so when they end up starting with the Atlanta people backing them instead of the $25 million in the bank from Nigeria or whatever, Bill Eady's idea, because he was the booker, was that the GWF actually existed and had offices all over the world. They just hadn't run in the United States before. So they had their head office in Barcelona, Spain, and they had the world champion Bar- Baron von Steiner, who we never saw and was not referred to again after the first few weeks. And the world tag titles were in a tournament, but they had champions, the English lords, but they had to vacate the titles because they were in a car accident on the Autobahn. <laughs> and they had to retire. So, that, you know what? That I haven't thought of that at least 30 years, but that's a real thing that happened. More like I nine. Remember all <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how, <laughs> 27 or so. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> it didn't happen 30 years ago, unless, unless, you, unless you were watching the English Lords. I don't know, but your point's I had a time machine. No. <laughs> Rob went on a vacation, and he watched the English Lords, and Sharon von Steiner, yeah. and... Dude, yeah, Sharon von Steiger, I totally remember that name now. That's really funny. 
Well, and I also... Know, I used to get him confused with Crusher Hay, who ended up being a where <laughs> working the Manitoba region. Now, I want to know if Axel Rotten and Adrian Street were the <laughs> tag team partners having feuded with the English Lords of England. That could be... Oh, I cannot right now. This is the craziest shit ever. And anyway. I'm stuck on ESPN Classic all the time. Although, for some reason, I don't get ESPN Classic in my cable package. So. Oh, man. That's good that people could still relive all this. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I have a question, because I, I was reminded of this more recently, and I can't believe it didn't come up on the original show. So the Hands of Stranger, later known as Marcus Alexander slash Buff Bagwell, now currently a gigolo, which you can see on Showtime want to see him having sex with women who are paying him to have sex. Uh, he was the handsome stranger, and he had the Lone Ranger type of mask, and he's giving the roses out to the ladies in the front row, and I somehow forgot about this, but when I heard it again, it totally made sense, and I'm pretty sure this is not something that someone else made up. They said that he was hiding his face with the mask, but explained that he was a virgin who was going to remove the mask when he lost his virginity to the love of his life. You're killing me. I've never heard this. Naturally, that does sound weirdly familiar. I know. Yes. It was. I, you had the same reaction as me. It was like, wait a second. Oh, shit, I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> what? No wonder he uh, beelined to WCW. Hey, look, that's, that's literally like 800 times more creative than we've seen on most of our local TV wrestling shows these days. That's crazy. Look at that. He's a big V, and he's going to remove the mask. <laughs> he's going to fire. He's going to literally take it off. And, like, it would have been Bonnie Blackstone. I'm trying to think of what other women were. Samantha. I don't know who the hell else is on this show, but let's Oh, okay. It. So, Samantha. We were just talking about this on this week's Between the Sheets. How old do you think Samantha was in global? Oh, she was like 67, right? She was old. Shit. <laughs> she was about 20, 21. Stop it. No. Samantha, she was looking, that's a ragged 21. I couldn't believe that. That's insane. Her, 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 her nails were 21. That's that's insane to me. <laughs> I, Something I, like that. I, that's I what can't. I can't get over that she was uh, 21. Yeah, she looked like she was at least 42. And then when she was in uh, Memphis with Bill Dundee, less than a decade later, she looks at least 50. <laughs> yeah, she was... Uh, what do you call that? Ridden hard and road... I, I don't know what... Road hard and put away wet. Yeah, she was that and then some. Uh, you know what? I, wow, she was something else. I You know, I'd like to see a shoot interview of hers. I would like to see what the background was on all that. That's, that's fascinating. That's yes. a great IW Mid-South moment. Remember the Bullpain Ian feud? Oh, and she just starts cutting promos about what about how much of a rat Samantha was. Oh yeah, Bullpain shoot interview went off on her too. It was pretty crazy. I remember. Yeah. Like, I seen the shoot interview. I remember when he was on Art of Wrestling, and he was like, "Well, she was my ex-wife, but she's a bitch, so let's not talk about her." Yeah. Oh, dude. It, first of all, if you haven't seen the Bullpain shoot interview from Smart Mark Video, it's one of the best shoot interviews ever done. I remember I didn't like Bull Payne as a, as a wrestler or uh, interview or anything else. I liked Rick Gatner, but like I, by the time I was done watching this in like 2003 or four, I just loved Bull Payne, and I, I like to this day, you know, my buddy on Facebook, and he's he's an older wrestler who has opinions, and it's it's cute. 
But, uh, oh, man, <laughs> he's something else, man. He's a trip. Like, there's certain older wrestlers like Bob Cook who I just had to just not be friends with anymore because, like, you just read and it's just like negative, 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 all these kids these days. And it's just like, oh, man, damn it, I don't want to do this. I just, I, I just don't want to read all this negative stuff. But, like, Bull does it in such a way that it's funny and it's just like I, I have to just laugh and just take it all in because it's Bull Payne doing it. But Bull Payne's shoot interview, he tells stories about uh, Sandman, Bill Dundee, and DDP in particular, where it's just, it's worth the price of admission. If you also haven't seen the Madman Pondo shoot the same people at the same time, it's excellent. But uh, I digress. Madman Pondo has nothing to do with GWF. <laughs> Although he could be a GFW, depending. I don't know. Now, if we did a Herb Abrams GWF show, then Madman Pondo would be on topic. There you go. Exactly. We'll have to do that one. Who, who did he wrestle in GWF? When he, what, what they called him, Pongo or whatever? I think he wrestled Paul Ornoff or something. It, it was one of those tough mothers that just beat shit out of him, for sure. Well, if it's Herb Abrams GWF, you just assume that it's Doc or Orndorff. <laughs> yeah, you have to, pretty much. <laughs> oh, and Herb Abrams, who threatened to sue the Global Wrestling Federation. What? Oh, look at this now. Did, he did, really we, not, I, did this? we talk? We didn't talk about this on the first show? Okay. We talked about the WWF trying to sue them, but uh, I don't think not Herb Well, in the tag team tournament, uh, one of the teams in the first round, who I think got eliminated quickly, were Sandy Beach or Sunny Beach, whichever name he was using then. I think it was Sunny Beach. And Wild thinks Steve Ray went and Wild, and Herbert Abrams is like, no, I'm going to sue you because I own the trademark to the Wet and Wild name. <laughs> so they became the Slip House Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Rob has no idea what you're talking about. No, probably not. No, I don't know. I just it's, it's a it's a long running joke on um on the 605 <laughs> podcast. Well, there it is. That has well, to do with the Global Wrestling Federation. <laughs> GFW. <laughs> I just keep going back to the other GF tournament. <laughs> <laughs> of the tournaments, though, I think the light heavyweight tournament has truly the most ridiculous field. <coughs> yeah, I, if you think it's, I mean, they did one. WCW had one in the fall thereabouts, but they were uh, global was the first, and uh, <laughs> quite quite a stretch of the term light heavyweight. Well, how many wrestlers are in this? Okay, so two, four, six, eight. Got to be twenty-four, right? Because they had the oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah, so probably twenty-four wrestlers. The weight limit was two hundred thirty-seven pounds. Which, okay. Um, and by the way, in a Matt Watch in late 1990, it said that Conan was going to Global. Ooh. They had an offer to be the light heavyweight champion. Obviously, that didn't happen. Damn it. So, here is your lineup in the light heavyweight tournament. The greatest junior heavyweight tournament in the history of wrestling. Can, can you do me a favor? Can you say each name and I'll give like a quick three words yes. on each? Yes, that's, that's the idea. Please. The Handsome Stranger. All right, Fabian, Buff Bagwell, someone who I thought was good in GWF. So, yeah, I'll, he was all right. Butch Blackheart, who also, I think... Also a for- virgin, by the way, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big fucking V. Anyway, so then Butch Blackheart, I was remember... Butch, what was Butch Blackheart's other name? Was he Dog of War? I think he was Dog of War. He reminded me of Scott Braddock, who I don't think he was. And uh, he also reminded me of uh, Niles, who was a bald guy in Florida. Who? who uh, <laughs> Very Niles, much not a bald guy either. in Florida. No, he played Jesse Ventura oh. in that movie. I oh, uh, Nils Allen Stewart. There you go. Thank you. And his wrestling name was, uh, 
He was a hell of a worker. <laughs> We're thinking of the same guy. Was anyway. he really a worker, though? I thought he was... I might be thinking of this the wrong person. You know, I, I could be thinking of more just the maniac for all I fucking know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Butch Black. Is smaller? No, no. He took a great drop kick from Doug Furness one time in 92 or something. How are we but, confusing uh, this with the guy who played Jesse Ventura? I don't understand <laughs> what the connection is here. I don't know. I, I think he was a bald guy, obviously. I think he had, like, a mustache, and maybe I'm somehow confusing all of it. But, uh, yeah, I remember there was a uh, there was a job guy in the Florida region in 1991, and I, I thought it was the same guy. It might not. Be. Oh, nasty with Brady. Thank you. Ned Brady is not <laughs> They're not the same person. Surely you jest. They're not. I didn't. Damn it. All right. I'm sad now. I thought Ned. I thought. I could you fix. I thought nasty Ned Brady played Jesse Ventura, apparently. <laughs> there it is. Hustle Ref Rogers. All right. The hustle. Nothing negative to say there. Ray no, Evans. He's, he's no, I'm saying we. No, I'm saying that's good. I'm saying it's good. Yeah, yeah. He's... Ray Evans, I have no memory of. No. Same for Ed Robinson. Chad. Oh, Ed Robinson, big Ed. Uh, he was a, he was another balding gentleman. Had white tights. It took a power bomb from Sid about uh, I would say six months later before Sid wrestled Hogan. So he was a Texas guy. And they ran in Texas prior to Sid Wrestling Hogan. For now, what did you think of Chaz, and did you run into Chaz at any point during yeah, uh, WrestleMania weekend? I did not. I thought Chaz was great. I think I have, every time I see my, my dear, close, personal, long-time friend, uh, her, we'll take the last one out of there, Oakland. But uh, anytime I see Sean Waltman, I, I just regale him. I ask him, please tell me about Chaz and your, and your feud. Because uh, everyone talks about him and Jerry Lynn, and that's great. I love it. You know, they were both together in Philly, and I was backstage at Ring of Honor, and it was great talking to them. But, like, Chaz and Lightning Kid had some bangers, man. They had some good-ass matches. And and I remember Chaz, everyone talked about maybe Chaz going to Mexico, or maybe he did go to Mexico. Maybe he did. He did. Mexico. But, yeah, he, he deserved a better career. I don't know what he's up to or what happened to him ever since, 92. But uh, I like Chaz. I did not see Chaz or Chuck Taylor uh, in and around the Dallas vicinity, unfortunately. Well, that's a shame. Did he work like for Shawn Michaels' uh, promotion? Wow, that's a cool little really? tidbit if he did. Wasn't he like American Chippendale or something? Or you know what? It wouldn't Amer- surprise me. I'll have to go back and check out my TWA tapes, but uh, I'm sure that he might have been up in that Rudy Boy mix doing the thing. Wait, could you imagine if there was a Chaz versus Spanky or Chaz versus Brian Danielson match? Yeah, that we didn't know about, of course. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that. Inter- I don't think cross-pollination would certainly wouldn't be the term. But I like it when all these different people that aren't supposed to wrestle each other somehow do. So. Speaking yeah, of people yeah. who aren't supposed to wrestle each other, the Lightning Kid versus Bubba Fangman. Ah, uh, Bubba Fangman. Yeah, I remember him, too. Uh, don't remember too much about him. It was a lot, a lot of the guys that did jobs in a lot of places, like the Frogman LeBlanc. They they would just end up in the USWA or uh or global. But yeah, Bubba Fangman's a name I haven't heard in yep, you've heard it thirty years. So uh <laughs> he's another good one. John Tatum was somehow in this tournament. He was awesome. He did now did you bump game. into John Tatum at any point during WrestleMania weekend? Oh, I wish. I did bump into PSAs, but I did not bump into Johnny Tatum. So did I not fr- bump into Franklin Hayes. Oh no, Franklin Hayes. Didn't happen. Didn't he wrestle as Franklin Hayes? I think he did, yeah. yeah. 
Chris Germany. I mean, it's, and we can skip so he's it, mostly job guys. Wait, okay, wait talk- Chris Germany's all right. Chris Germany was good. He's another one that wrestled Sid in Texas. So we got next. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised there's no Todd Overbow in here though. Oh damn it! Uh, Terry Garvin Sims. Terry Garvin Sims. Uh, he he uh, he lost all his charisma upon going to Global. I loved him in the Beauty and the Beast team, and he got the Global and just. Had that funny voice and then turned into Terry Sims and it was all over. I, I wasn't a big fan. Yeah, because kids were asking at the PTA meeting why he had a different last name from his son. So it had yeah. nothing to do with the other Terry Garvin. Let's go. <laughs> See, I thought yeah. I completely did. That's so funny. No, it did. That was the kayfabe reason. Ah, I think yeah. we had this exact same conversation nine years ago. <laughs> it would not surprise me, thanks. <laughs> and it, as it turned out, though. When Terry Sims started wrestling, he had no clue who, that there was another Terry Garvin. He just, I mean, I guess the reason was they gave him the name was that he looked like Jimmy Garvin. Yeah. So they made him Terry The funny Garvin. thing is, they both had a lot in common in the fact that when Terry Garvin stopped looking like Jimmy Garvin and when Jimmy Garvin cut his hair, it was all over for both of them. I mean, <laughs> they needed that big spiral perm to make it work in the business, in my opinion. Yes, and you know what, we shouldn't, I realize this is 24 names, this is going to take forever. Uh, lots of job guys, although there is the comedy match of Jerry Lynn versus Randy Rhodes, where Randy Rhodes, who, for those who've never seen him, is a dusty look-alike type, mm-hmm. brings a scale into the ring to prove that he's two, under 237 pounds and gets cradled by Jerry Lynn, so Mike Davis <laughs> is in this. Brian Adias, Brian Adias. Yeah, who did not sell drugs, Devon Harris. That's a got abundantly clear, guys. Did he tell you that during your weekend? Yeah, he didn't sell any drugs to anybody. He's a nice guy, God-fearing citizen. <laughs> Steve Simpson was in this. Because oh, Sean has appeared, has had Stewart. Uh, who else is in this? I don't remember who Bandolero was. <laughs> If anyone, Adrian Street, Iceman King Parsons was somehow a light heavyweight, so. That's it. They, this all got to Lightning Kid versus Jerry Lynn, so they knew what they were doing. They just have enough people to fill out a tournament. Yeah, that stuff was really, I mean, the, uh, the spot where Kid dives off the top rope, like onto the stage set up. Right. I feel it's just crazy. The weird and, thing is, it, looking back on it, it's not, but at the time it was just insane. Well, like, he covered a lot of distance. Okay, yeah. that's accurate. But, like, I remember as a kid, and, and I, that's that's kudos to the time period. That's kudos to the announcers really making it seem like a huge deal. And uh, it was th- those matches were just so damn good. I mean, I remember Lightning Kid had, like, a million lightning-based name moves, the Cloudburst and the Lightning Strike, and he did, like, the leg drop off the top and the Tombstone and the Liger Bomb and and the Northern Lights suplex. It's funny because I hadn't totally been all in on Japanese wrestling until a year later, or maybe that same year. But, like, Lightning Kid probably did most of those moves before I saw anyone else do them, so it was cool. And, like, he's, he just he killed it. Waltman, Waltman's such a neat one to look back on because every stage of his career he was doing something interesting and changing up his style somehow. So Well, and because he was so good so early. Yeah, he was just an absolute... Sponge, man. He, he well, because he was such more, not just, not for his, like, mechanical work, although that was great, too, but, like, he's such a good heel early on. Sure. It's like they could get Dean Malenko in that tournament at the time, because he'd, he'd have been a great person to intermix with some of those people. Yeah, it's a little weird that they 
they are flying people in for like one-offs. Like, why didn't they try to bring in more good junior heavyweight wrestlers? Yeah. Like, strange. Why don't they bring? I mean, they're like Ted Petty, I say. Well, like, Eddie Guerrero, they're in Texas. Eddie Guerrero, you got mm. it. Yeah, weird. Bring in Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> See, now that's the cool thing. That's why we would need to get Olu Amayami or somebody on here so we could talk to them about who made people were supposed to be in it. Because that's the real interesting thing to me. Like, maybe Bubba Fangman wasn't in the initial, you know, 32 people. Maybe they had somebody else slotted in there. Like, the Conan thing makes sense. But maybe, like, Luis Piccoli or, you know, Art Barr or somebody who's dancing around somewhere. Are you saying uh, Kenny the Stinger wasn't uh, first choice, man? Hey, look, Kenny the Stinger was a second choice, but it's all right, though, Kenny the Stinger. He did a good job. <laughs> but they did also have guys in the tag tournament that would have fit in the light heavyweight tournament, like uh, Brady Boone was there as Firecat. Shit, yeah. That's right. He and, was uh, great the great tournament. And the Nightmares, it, it says the Nightmares were in the tag tournament. I don't remember the Nightmares being in the tag tournament, but I'm going to no, assume it. Danny Davis and Ken Wayne, so they would have been wow. in, put in the tournament too. Although I don't know if he really would have wanted to use Ken Wayne now with what, with what we know about Ken Wayne. But well, yeah, let's face it. Well, it's Dallas though, but Zoomer worked there too. So. Oh well. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, the, the tournament. The only other thing I'm just looking Bob Sweetan was not in the North American tournament. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. We're moving on for that. The other day, I mean, there's not. I don't think there's much else with this, but. Looking at some of the tag teams, I mean, you know, it's the beginning of uh, John Tatum and Rod Price as a team, but and you've got some makeshift teams, Bill Irwin and uh, Rob's good friend Johnny Ace. There you go. That's a, I like uh, Jeff Gaylord in the Blue Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> did not did not win their opening round match. Well, Rob, I'll ask you this though: Is did Bill Irwin train Lance Hoyt? You know what? I don't know that. Uh, I'm not tight with Lance Hoyt. Uh, and I thought this was the type of thing you should know, though, because I remember yeah, it came up you... on Twitter a while back, and like that, that people were mentioning, like they were watching Global, I think, on ESPN Classic, and someone was like, "Bill Irwin moves just like Lance Hoyt," and I was thinking about it, reading, I was like, "Yeah, they do. They do kind of move alike." So I think someone, asked, like one of the voices wrestling guys, asked him, I think, but I don't remember if there was a response or anything. But. Yeah, it's a new. I don't have to. Check in on that for you. I talked to Harry. Okay, and uh, also in the tag team tournament, Jim, I remember Jim Brunzel was supposed to be part of it with someone and refused to do a job. I think to Billy Black. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Jim! <laughs> oh, jeez! Oh, jeez! Oh, they asked me to do a job. Did you eat? Ah, oh, jeez! I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, He's, like, I've... such a nice guy. I don't mean to mock, but, like, come on now. Trevor Zell, come on, man. Now, I'm looking at this for a second. I feel like I would have remembered Joel Beaton and Billy Black against the Nightmares. This can't be the actual Nightmares. Yeah, it's not the shoot Nightmares. Uh, it's probably, like... It's like the Ted Allen Nightmares. It's not yeah, the... it's like... It's not the, it's the, the one that shoot Headhunters in the Clash 19 WCW. But it was going to be the shoot Headhunters. I've heard this. And we almost got uh, my boy uh, Miguelito Perez Jr. in there, too, I'm told. It would have been cool. Now, was, wait, was he actually there, though? The Puerto Rican team? Were they actually... No. Oh, the Puerto Rican team. There was a Puerto Rican wreck, if you remember correctly. Yes. There was not a, there was not a Puerto Rican team. So I think they all were supposed to come in and told them to fuck off, and then they just did it. But uh, <laughs> I remember Jordy. Yeah, there was a wreck. There's a Puerto Rican wreck. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like what does that mean? But 
but yeah. That was and of course, because it's a Dr. Death promo to Clash of Champions, he's screaming, is there a doctor in the house throughout the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the better, more spirited doc promo. Well, not more spirited, let's face it, but that was, that was a good doc promo. <laughs> is there a doctor in the house? He'd have been great in the GWF. I'd have liked him there. He almost was there. I know. I mean, Gordy wrestled Chris Jeremy month before. <laughs> Chris Germany and who's Chris Germany's partner? Let's just say, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, look how sick I am with this stupid memory. I totally <laughs> I haven't seen this in a lot of years. It's been at least twenty one. But uh yeah, it's crazy. Steve Dane and Chris Jeremy. I remember not liking that match, by the way. Because I remember it was like an extended 18-minute squash, and it was... In fact, and it's on WWE Network. I remember wanting to watch it, because it's on one of those best of uh, global things that they have, or whatever. Oh, wow. They, they, have the, they have, like, these multiple volumes that are called Best of Global, or, or no, it's Global Presents, uh, the Best of the USWA, and it has a lot of stuff from that taping. And that match is just interminable. It's like eight minutes long, it's just chipmunk, and it's not yeah. murder. It, they, yeah, you just wanted them to go in and just mess shit up, and then they did it. Also, oh, I got also at that taping and not working. Akira Nagami. Oh wow! All right, interesting. Weird. They could have actually tried to put some good guys in global, and then they didn't. And I wonder where some of the people. Well, actually, wait. I just realized I was going to say one man gang who was at the pilot taping that wasn't picked up. But then I realized, wait, one man gang is in WCW at this point. Yes, he's wrestling uh, Elegante. And Gordy did come in. Oh, yeah, he, he did, but he in, was uh, not. He was. I hate to say he was not impressive there. My him and Cactus had a banger, but aside from that, I don't even remember him having any other matches. Yeah, I don't think he, he may not have. I just remember being disappointed. Well, maybe I hope they didn't have no matches. He just was okay. Cactus, I said it was good. Maybe I wasn't disappointed, but uh, maybe I'm thinking like Chris Germany tag. But yeah, Gordy, <laughs> Gordy and Cactus was great, man. And it sucks because right after it happened, I remember. Well, it was good, but, like, Cactus showed up and, you know, had that amazing debut coming out of the box and beating up Sting. Like, legitimately, as a kid, one of my biggest mark-out moments watching a live wrestling TV show, like, that's one of them, like, like Jim Ross, oh, my God, he jumped over all of us in the dance. <laughs> right in the heart. <laughs> that was great. It was so good. <laughs> So we should probably talk about, uh, as far as who won the tournaments, the Patrick at the Big Push. Is the, uh, the mass We're talking about specific things? Okay. Yes, we are. <laughs> Until the next random thing comes up. So he not only won the TV title tournament, he also won the North American title tournament, which led to him giving up the television, I mean, the TV title, and then leading to another tournament for that title. So, which Yeah, I don't like him winning both tournaments, for the record. Mm-hmm. What's that? Which was one I don't like him winning both of those God. tournaments, for the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they wanted to push the guy, but uh, yes, Eddie Gilbert did end up winning uh, when he came in. He was, uh, I don't know, what's global rank in terms of Eddie Gilbert? Output? I think he was just fantastic. As a booker or as a performer? Uh, performer. Um, I really like his stuff in global, especially a lot when he's aligned with Scotty Body, Scott Anthony, and feuding with Terry Sims and their stuff. That that stuff's all really good. And then much, as a baby, as a baby face, he was pretty good too when he was both. Much, much like everything with Gore, uh, Gilbert, though, it's it just wasn't enough. Like it was on the cusp of really being something memorable, and then he just bounced. So it's kind of like oh, yeah. you were there for it, you dug it, it was quality, and you wanted more, and then see you later. 
So, like, it, it was somewhat unfortunate. A.K.A. he argued with someone about money. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, so I was looking through all these map watches. So, you remember how Patriot wins the North American title tournament beating Al Perez in the finals, but Perez gets his foot on the ropes, and then the Patriot's like, no, I'm an American, and I'm a good guy, so I don't want the title this way. Take the title away from me. I want to have a fair match with him. So I'm looking at these Matt watches, and it says that what happened was was that that was not the planned finish. It was supposed to be a false finish, and the referee was an idiot and just fast-counted it. Oops. <laughs> and the fans were chanting cheater at the Patriot <laughs> at the world's famous Global Dome, a.k.a. the Dallas oh, Auditorium. Right. So they realized, yeah, we should probably redo that. Was Nick Patrick the ref for them? <laughs> no, oh, it was... All I got to say is, James Beard, all I have to say is this. <laughs> the greatest thing about the Patriot is when the Darton Patriot came in and the Patriot's finish was, wasn't it the Patriot missile and then the other <laughs> ones was the Scud missile? <laughs> 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 Fucking amazing. <laughs> Yes, that would be Doug Gilbert under a mask as the evil nemesis uh, of uh, of the Patriot, a, a moniker he would continue in like ECW. And yeah, stuff. with like non-Patriot <laughs> promotions, which never made fucking sense. Well, and, and ECW, who is also Dark Patriot too, for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm not making that up. Right? He was also Dark Patriot too. Christ, maybe maybe Olu Amalami. <laughs> oh, oh, since Doug Gilbert came up, Rob, is it true that at one point during your tenure with the developmental, that, or perhaps after that Doug Gilbert came in as a guest coach? Uh, it was long after me, because I remember DeMott took a photo with Doug. Okay. And Doug may have just visited, or maybe he was a guest coach, I don't know. But it was crazy. The amount of people that walk in and out of those places, both in Tampa and now Orlando, is just insane. So it might not have been a guest coach. But uh, he certainly did visit. I maybe he gets speaker. Yeah, I'm sure that either he came in and then they just maybe had him talk to the kids and that was it. But I don't, I don't think it was like a week-long thing. I think if anything, he dropped by. They're like, hey, what's up? And then, you know, I, again, though, it was after my, my time there, so I can't really comment completely. But. Who were, the, like, the weirdest people who come through, either when you were there or after that you've heard about? Like, oh, that's... I tweeted the story about Barry Houston the other day. Barry Houston came in to visit Norman and... uh like, no one knew who the fuck it was. Um, I, I was quoted as saying, yo, look it, that's Barry motherfucking Houston. You better respect <laughs> it. And, like, Norman died. So every time I talk to Norman, he's like, Barry motherfucking Houston says hi. But, like, uh, I love Barry Houston. Uh, Buddy Colt would come in, which is, like, unbelievable. Like, when I got the gig, I remember Mercury going, like, dude, on any day, like, anyone could just randomly walk in. So, like. Don't be a mark. I'm like, yeah, okay, I got it. But like, it was <laughs> and then Rusty like, Brooks walked in. Yeah, and like, the funny thing is, the guys I would really mark out for were like your Barry Houston's or like, right, not know, the Dan big names. Like no, Art course. comes in, you don't really care that much. Yeah, Jumbo Beretta. <laughs> and it's like, oh, hey, <laughs> Danny Spivey, Jesus Christ, tell me your social security card number. But uh, yeah, they would come in, and I, I'd be <laughs> always interested in learning from those types. But, yeah, it was always, uh, like, Mike Graham would come in a pair of board shorts, and uh, who else would be around? It was always, always interesting. It was, like, Christmas every day. But, like, I never, like, I just got in after Condry had stopped by. And I remember, here's a great story. So Dennis Condry comes in, and, you know, I'm not going to name names, but, like, whoever was, like, 
helping run the thing. He's just like, all right, man, we're going to break, but come back at four. And Dennis is just like, eh, I'm just going to go home. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're here, like, maybe vying for a job. Like, you might want to come back. No, nah, no, nah, I'm going to go grab lunch. And then, like, he just <laughs> didn't come back. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God, okay, cool. Sounds good. And I hear all these horrifying great Ganya stories, allegedly, so who knows if it's true or not. But, uh, from yeah. When Ganya was working in OVW? Uh, from when he was working in developmental, yeah. I don't know where he was or wasn't, but I just remember, like, going, sheesh. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Is it anything like the WCW, the public WCW stories, like him trying to teach Charlie Norris how to rain dance? <laughs> no, nothing quite of that nature. But, uh, yeah, that, I never heard that one. That's, that's a trip. Charlie Norris sued WCW. One of many people to sue WCW. <laughs> he was someone else I thought really sucked. The Chippewa Charlie Norris. He oh, he awful. did. No, yeah, that's not he, just you. He did. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was terrible. Oh, so with the whole USWA global thing, cause like we didn't really talk about this, so, you started hearing on, like, USWA TV in, like, the fall of 90 about the Global Wrestling Federation, all the stuff we already talked about with there's this promotion overseas and they're coming to the U.S., that whole thing. And it was, like, because he was, like, he was going to buy Jared out or whatever. And then the headline in Watch on uh, November 19th, 1990, is Deal Close Saturday in Nashville. Congi Sports buys the USWA. Now it's this formation of Global. And then, like, a week later, like, well, not really. <laughs> Uh, what is this? Let's see. In a complex part of the transaction, Jarrett sold Pedicino the rights to the Memphis Territory. Kongi will reassign Memphis promotional rights to Jeff Jarrett, a move seen as a tax benefit to the Jarrett family. Everything comes back to Jeff Jarrett. Wow. To the Jarrett family. Jarrett will reopen the Texas Territory at the Dallas Bronco Bowl on December, December 28th. That didn't happen. They went back to the sportatorium when Kevin Bonner pulled out. Uh, Jarrett's expected to be a consultant and... They got ESPN and blah, 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 and of course that didn't happen because former USWA owner, like, keep in mind, this thing doesn't actually end up happening for, uh, this is November, so eight months. And they said they had bought them. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, and Dusty Rhodes was on the list of people to be the booker. But he was already back in WCW at that No, not yet. Oh, was he? No, he was not He's still in the WWF, but on his way out. All right. Interesting. So very interesting that Dusty Rhodes almost was booker for GWF. You would know, you would think that uh, Randy Rhodes wouldn't have been there otherwise. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, I wonder who he would have brought in. That would have been an interesting. Like, we've got, like, Black Bart and Ron Bass and, uh, you know, Thunderfoot 1 and 2. It would have been uh, it would have been an interesting mix. Dustin Rhodes would have been a great champion, though. I'll say that. <laughs> did you ever talk to Dusty about like just random other wrestling that you watched that he wasn't involved in? Like, did it ever come up? Did he ever just ask you like what other shit do you like? Yeah, well, he didn't really give a shit what I liked or watched. So, like, I don't know. I'm trying honest. to find a way to segue into that. Yeah. However, I will say that like he would talk about Ring of Honor. Like he was he was convinced I worked for Ring of Honor. Robbie, I know, I get it. I, was, I, I know Gabe, I know Ring of Honor, and like, I just like, I'm not, I'm dragging, uh, exactly, yes, sir. And then, uh, yeah, he would, 
he liked it when I would bring up old names, like when we talk about Black Bart or or he'd even sometimes talk a little bit about Manny Fernandez too. So like he he would uh he he knew he knew everything. Like he knew about everything else going on in wrestling because either I would tell him or he had other people that would keep him in the loop. Because, like, all of his students were other places, like Lagana was at Ring of Honor, or Lagana was at TNA, or, you know, anybody else that worked under Dusty. He, he saw his, uh, kept his eyes and ears open on everything just in case he decided to bounce. <laughs> but didn't, wait, Blackbart did end up in Global, didn't he? Yeah, he was. In the, oh, late, in the Wild Eric. Bunch, right? Late, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was he? He was in the Wild Bunch, right? Or whatever that group was called. Wasn't it him, Jeff Rates, and, uh, Bill Irwin? Wow. No, it was him and Bill Irwin. Uh, oh, it was Bill Irwin, Jeff Rates, and who? Who was it if it wasn't Black Bart? Jeff Rates? No, it was, I think it was Black Bart and Bill Irwin. I'm not Jeff sure about the other guy. Yeah, Black Jeff Bart Rates is there. a baby face. Oof. Yeah, I'm not That's the quality it. booking you get in the Global Wrestling Federation. Now, Black <laughs> Bart was wandering around the Hyatt Regency, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. He was looking older than Samantha. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Are we past the point where people would have been bringing up Necro Butcher to him? Yeah, I know. I certainly won't do it. He Black Bart, though, he's, everyone I've ever talked to told me, like, Black Bart was, like, the nicest guy. But, like, Black Bart in that shooting interview is brutal. Like, just burying... I've never seen it. I've heard about it. Yeah, he just buried... It says a lot of salacious, terrifying things about Vince McMahon. Let's face it, you know, Vince McMahon, probably not a Boy Scout, and people probably have reasons for not liking it, but, like, really overly bitter about it, and then uh, gets into the Necro thing. You know, it's just not as nice as a person as I would have hoped. But I just I like, know about all the stuff he says on there that's clearly not true, like the Desperados has said, calm deal with Fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's not accurate. Uh <laughs> You know, it wasn't going to be after the Sam Kinison show, but uh, I I don't know. <laughs> Herman's Head, followed by Black Bart and Jedi Dick. Uh, no. But yeah, the Desperados. What a terrible idea. Sorry, Dream. But uh, you know what, though? It was actually kind of funny in premise. If they would have had Stan Hansen actually interact with them, I think it would have been great. Instead, they just had to go looking for Stan Hansen. Yes, they were looking for Stan. Then, then they finally were going to find him. Stan said, "Screw off," and that was it. But uh, <laughs> you know, what, were the Desperados uh, a dusty thing? I'm trying to remember when exactly. Desperados. That was like '91, right? The Desperados. You know what? I'm trying to think. That I think that they were definitely a dusty thing. They totally were a dusty thing. Like, the weird thing is, a lot of that Jim Hurd stuff, like, a lot of that was Dusty stuff. <laughs> like, which is great, because, like, everyone's like, oh, it's hokey, it's this and that. Like, Johnny B. Bad was a Dusty thing. Oz was a Dusty thing. <laughs> like, a lot of these things that are just universally panned were kind of, not complete, but somewhat Dusty things. But Dusty also had people telling him they needed these things. So, you know, you tell Dusty something, he's just going to, throw shit against the wall. Like, you Oz. Well, no, Dusty. Oz is a <laughs> geographical region. No, nah, baby, you Oz. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so. Also a heck of a TV show. I'm I was told. I've never watched it, which I, I direly need to 
I need to watch so much more TV, though, let's face <laughs> Way less wrestling, which I've done a good job of watching less, but... Because now you can just watch wrestling via GIFs. That's, like, the hot shit now. <laughs> like, who needs, to, who needs to watch actual wrestling with, like, audio and you just GIF everything? Come on now. <laughs> I saw literally GIFs of, like, Gorilla and Bobby Heaton today, and I got a kick out of it. So I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, the wrestling is complete GIFs now. Like, I'm waiting for the... Just stand up Jim Ross and Stefani calling a show gift wise. It's like, okay. <laughs> Very strange. Anyway, I'm sorry. We, I, we, we've gone way off the G, GWF. No, we haven't. No, not really. Let's face it. And also, what ties back in? Uh, I don't even know where we were, but, um, how soon was Tennessee out? <laughs> it was in 92. I'm trying to remember if it was before or after Gilbert. Uh, I think it was right at the end time. of Gilbert, Vix, because it was like, I know who the boss is. And then, like, basically, it was supposed well, to be like the big boss. Well, there was that, but I think, I actually, I think him and Bonnie left around the same time as Gilbert, now that I think about it. Uh, they all bounced. And then things got really weird. Like, well, I looked at it as tournament phase, and then post-tournament phase, and then... You clearly something happens and everything changes and it becomes like Gilbert phase. And then it's kind of like, oh shit, what have we done phase? <laughs> like, <there's> like, <laughs> right, it's like tournaments, then Andy Gilbert with some of the flying guys, then Eddie Gilbert with just his friends and local guys, and then Gilbert and Pettacino and Bonnie and everyone else leaves. And it's like, oh shit, what have we done? Yeah, and then it's like, oh shit, Moadib. And then like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. You remember Moadim? You guys got him? No. I do. I just um, I watched a match of his against Terry Gordy, and uh, Francis Buxton on commentary literally says, look how big that spear chucker is. <laughs> no. I'm not allowed to laugh at that. That's awful. I <laughs> is this on YouTube? Other... It's on YouTube, yep. Jesus so I just Christ. Up Moadib. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's the worst that thing That didn't work, so I guess I have to look up Moadib wrestling. Francis Crybaby Buxton was awful. Named after uh, the character from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I thought was... Uh... Wait a minute. Is that true? Yeah. See, I thought that was a great wrestling name. It's clearly a great Pee-wee's Big Adventure name. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, so here's a great story. So uh, last year I did a, an article about Eddie Gilbert for Fighting Spirit magazine on, I guess, you know, around the 20th anniversary of his death, and... Yeah, I put a lot of research into it. I'm looking at a lot of old newsletters, interviews he did, listening to interviews he did. And I'm looking at stuff from around when he started Booking Global. And I come to the week after he did his first taping as Booker. And I'm looking at the torch, looking at the observer. And they're not word for word the same, but close enough. And I'm like, hmm. I think I have an idea who told them all that. Yeah, that's 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 like spot on. I'm sure. Eddie, uh, I always hated reading all the. Again, this is not a shot at Dave because way too many people pick on Dave, and Dave Belcher is my spirit animal and my hero idol and everything else. But uh, it's like there was so much shitting on Robert Fuller. I felt. And, like, Robert Fuller's awesome. So, like, I think it was always, like, that Booker, not Envy, but, like, Booker, you always, like, look at other Bookers and more critical eye than most. So, like, a lot of times, 
a lot of the the discussion on Robert Fuller as a booker would be very negative, and Eddie Gilbert would be very positive. I've always felt that. So I'm just guessing that Robert Fuller probably didn't know Dave Melzer's phone number. <laughs> that's just that's just a, that's a guess on my part. Robert Fuller was not in the WFIA. Damn it! You know what? That upsets me. If you uh, search classic GWF wrestling on YouTube, you will uh, come upon a, uh, a link, and you'll see Moa D versus Terry Gordy. So he drops uh, a hard SC right in the middle of the match. <laughs> right the, yeah, right at the intros. Moa D wearing uh, Sabu pants, it looks like. Oh, you know? yeah. Moa D had the hammer pants, and, like, <laughs> he did yeah. Moot salts. Yeah, well, I guess oh my God. all the other day talked about Moa D having to wear... The uh, the armbands and of course Moadib wore the uh, the knee pads on his thighs and Hero actually joked about it and Ahmed Johnson got hot and like cut this profanity laced promo on Hero on Twitter or some <laughs> social media and like I guess the other day it came up again and Scott Hall actually jumped in on the tweet because Hero's like yeah ask him once about it. Didn't really like the answer or something. And then, like, Scott Hall's like, yeah. You know, Ahmed had uh, tricep injections or tricep, uh, what do you call it, implants. The Scott like, Steiner stuff, simple. Yeah, is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't really know any of these things. Like, I knew the, the calf implants with uh, with uh, Bagwell, <laughs> Marcus Alabama Bagwell. I, just, I didn't know anything about all these, like, Where's my? I'll, I'll sign up for arm implants immediately. Like, immediately, like biceps out of nowhere. That's crazy. I didn't really know that was the way it worked. My favorite is, I remember from like the nineties, there was a height minimum in the sumo federation in Japan, mm-hmm. and there were short sumo guys who started injecting silicone into their heads to make the height minimum. <laughs> Oh, my God. I don't want to know any of these things. I knew that Terrified. would pop you. Wow. Head implant. I don't even understand any of that. That's insane. Wow. So you're saying I could be five foot five if I knew the right doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. I'm uh, I don't think that's the thing a doctor would let you would do. I Not know, a good one. I know. Not yet. Not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's also on the, Eddie, on the Eddie Gilbert thing. Something else I found out then from multiple people, and also later heard from his brother Doug. So when Eddie was booking Global, he went online under an assumed name to get feedback on the shows, on like CompuServe or something. Hey, good for him. The three people who were online at the time, I'm sure, were uh, were helpful. I like that, though. I I brought up uh, Paul Alperstein the other day. What? Paul Alperstein? Who? Uh, but I was talking about the AWF from, uh, I love how I'm Southern all of a sudden, the W's. I blame, <laughs> I, I blame the Florida, And you've lived in Florida for almost five yeah, years. Yeah, but I, I blame the GFW. But, uh, it's one of those things where <laughs> AWF, which is the, no, it was the second ring I bumped in actively, because, uh, Mark Mess in Reading bought the AWF ring from <laughs> Alperstein. Yeah, so I would train with, like, Hero and a lot of those guys, and I would go, and it was like, oh, shit, it's the AWF ring. It's like a giant ring, by the way, which apparently was also a Saturday Night Main event. I, it's a long story. It's the hardest shit, by the way. But uh, it was just like, Alperstein, I recall, 
he didn't have that many great ideas, but one of them that was great is, like, I remember being in college in 96 and reading him saying, ah, we're just going to put all the TV shows on the Internet. And I'm like, yes, I remember that. I'm like, that's crazy talk, or I'm going to sell them on, like, uh, floppies. And I'm like, that's that's just, that's insane, you know? But, like, Alfred Stein had some pretty progressive ideas looking back at it. I'm just, for some reason you mentioned that, and I think of Teddy Hart and your hologram trading cards. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Jose, oh, by the way, I spent a lot of time with Teddy Hart in uh, in Texas. Not not a lot of time, because, trust me, I saw some things, but uh, I, I kind of liked not having a record. But, uh, so, like, he's so much crazier than, like, he's ever been right now. It's fantastic. I'll tell you what. He just, uh, man, it's, it's fascinating. What a, just, I, I can't, I used to like love hearing him talk. Like now if I get like three and a half minutes in, I'm good. I've, I've got all I need and I'm just going <laughs> to run. But like, there was all kinds of wacky stories about him going on the whole weekend. Like I think he did get through the weekend not arrested, which is fascinating. But I was told that one of the hotel security came in and he, Teddy got out of getting busted for drugs by telling them he was an undercover cop. So there was, <laughs> there's a uh, 21 Jump Street story that you'll never believe. But yeah, like getting really. busted by I'm going to guess not cops by the hotel. <clears throat> I don't I don't know. I don't want to impugn anyone. I'm just saying the secondhand story I got was that Teddy was just like, oh no, motherfucker, I'm an undercover cop. <laughs> like eight cats were running around the room <laughs> and like a bunch of other potentially undesirables. So yeah, it's just fascinating. But yeah, Teddy Hart, man. He still loves me for those videos, though, so that's cute. Didn't you say you found the, at least the... Oh, the, the I have both, both Teddy Hart mixtapes exist. They're out there, and... Why uh, have you not put them online, back online, though? I think they're just on my Facebook. If someone knows how to download okay. them off of that shit and, like, they can put them on YouTube, please go ahead. Because I, I do take some pride in those videos. They're pretty funny. But, uh, but the one was shitless, the first or the second one? Yeah, man. <laughs> that was the first one, man. That was the OG. That that and that dropped all of it. And it's funny because I discussed that with him. I'm like, yeah, you were the guy that came in that, like, Punk, Joe, uh, Carino, like, at least seven people hated him. Homicide, they all hated him immediately. So, like, it was just funny how, you know, Teddy made so many friends so fast. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's out of control. But, uh, yeah. Somehow that got me thinking now, now, I guess this is a question for Chris, then, if Jersey Kid is still around. Oh, wow, yeah, I forgot that. Name. Oh, man, I haven't thought about him in a long time. Right, Wes is around, you're around, Chris is around, but I don't know about Jersey Kid. Jersey Kid, the JK. Now, did Teddy ever actually own a Maybach? Or was oh, that I'm sure. Joke? I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure maybe he drove one, <laughs> like... Teddy, Teddy told me some stuff. Like, I, I've heard Teddy tell stories over the years, but he was telling stories to a room full of humans, and, like, everyone just kept listening, and then Jack's in the room, too, and I'm in the room. I think me and him knew that they weren't true, but, like, we weren't gonna, or maybe they weren't completely true. But I'm not arguing. I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, oh, and then this, then uh, a spaceship came down and Martian came out, and then it's like, okay, cool. That that that's that really happened. Yeah, great. 
Because, like, what are you going to say? But he, he, he can have a captive audience. Once he starts telling stories, it's like, all right, sure. But, yeah, Teddy Hart, he, he would have been great in the GWF. Teddy Hart against <laughs> Jazz. Book it, Bill Eady. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Bill Eady the booker? He was the first booker, and then Eddie Gilbert took over. Right? <laughs> all right. Well, that's interesting. And it's a weird shift between there. So, like, Bill Eady, I'm um, sorry, it's me beeping. Bill Eady then, uh, first of all, his promos, and i I got to go back and listen to the original show we've done, because, like, I'm sure I buried Bill Eady's promos at the time, because I was used to the very grovelly, gruff, like, Bill Eady promo, and it was, like, a more elderly like a grandpa promo. It was that. more mass superstar than Demolition Axe. There you go. Yeah, and like I believe you buried his face paint, but not his promo. <laughs> his face paint. He had like Crayola crayon face. Paint. <laughs> 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 shit. And like you could tell he really didn't want to be there because like he didn't even paint around his eyes. But like anytime you ever see any, like granted, I don't like paint in my eye either. Not like I have it in my eye often. But uh, it's one of those things where you always could tell when wrestlers really didn't give a shit about the organization they were in, and usually it was when, like, they didn't paint around their eyes when they normally would for, like, bigger wrestling promotions. It's such a little thing, but I've noticed that. But anyway. I Who else is that? I'm trying to picture this. Who else? Uh, well, Smash. <laughs> like, sometimes on, like, B-shows or, like, if Smash came to the Hershey Park Arena, he wouldn't have to <laughs> paint around his eyes. <laughs> I'd be like, well, what the fuck? Like, we're not, like, eye-paint-worthy, but uh, <laughs> there, was, there were other times. Like, I, I it, like guys like Warrior, Sting, Animal, and Hawk, they always did it 100% correct. But I, I remember, like, Axe was one, Smash was one. It must have been a demolition thing, because, like, they certainly, uh, they certainly did not always paint around the eyes. It was a weird thing to notice, but... Was he the only face-painted wrestler in the entire run of Global? I think he was, and here's a question for you guys. Oh, wait, I'm gonna giant no, the uh, warrior. What's the renegade warrators or the young? Oh, club? renegade oh, warriors, maybe giant warrior too. Hmm. Was giant, yeah. wait, was giant warrior global? He was. Know. He wrestled Johnny Mantel. Oh. Yeah, and Butch Masters. Yeah, the giant warrior Butch Masters and Johnny Mantel. Chris Hero actually. Uh, he's a big Johnny Mantel mark, and met Johnny Mantel, and Johnny Mantel. And, and Butch Masters did have some good matches. I don't know how many other good matches Butch Masters had, but that was one of them. Is Johnny Mantel really estranged from his brother? I'm sure he could be. I, I don't really know. I don't know anyone who even knows where Ken Mantel is. When I saw that Joel Goodhart popped up again this weekend, I was like, dude, now we've got to find like Ken Mantel. And well, know. Joel's been on. No, Joel's been on Facebook for for years. Oh, I didn't know that. Guess who else I got to meet aside from Brian Adias randomly waking me up one morning. Okay. Texas, uh, was in a room with Mickey Grant for about 10 minutes. You'd have been in heaven. Mickey I, like how the, I like how the people that you didn't meet are actually semi-on topic. Yeah. Well, you were in Dallas. Yeah, but, like, Mickey had all these stories, and he was so interested in, like, how the High Spots people liked their interviews, and was uh, he's just so still, just such a fertile mind and asking about stuff, and he still just knows so much about the industry and technological changes and stuff. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff. But uh, it, it was interesting. And real quick, talk about yourself, because I'm unprofessional. I'm going to get a Coke right now during the interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you guys can talk. All right. 
The bungee so, uh, I don't know. Uh, we should get into some of the uh, changes. The crazier, yeah, the changes, the crazier late era things. That, well, it's not uh, even late era because it eventually kind of normalizes and then just becomes boring. Right? I mean, yeah, I suppose. Is Robert like McDonald's right now? I heard his car. It sounded like he was in his car earlier when he was beeping. It sounded like it was one of those like keys and ignition doors open sounds. You should ask. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> I'm getting a Coke at the McDonald's drive-thru. I'm sorry. <laughs> ask if they have any thoughts on Coke. <laughs> Yo, man, look. This girl's a uh, nice lady. And I'm not going to ask her anything about Moadib. <laughs> it's not Samantha, is it working? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, look, I, I'm literally going to ask now that you're going to embarrass everyone <laughs> going down. Anyway, no, I'm not going to ask her. Okay. Gonna... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about Let's talk about the post-Gilbert era. <laughs> the uh, the most memorable and uh, a lot of things your your favorite. Yeah. Manny Fernandez was. Uh, oh yeah, the Moon Rock. <laughs> sure, I like that. Was uh, Manny Villalobos died recently? Oh really? That's right. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah. I, mean, I, I wonder if he was still in his uh, hut. Yeah, Manny Villalobos. Uh, I thought it was really funny at the time. Now I'm just realizing it was ultra-racist and not funny at all, but, like, at the time, I thought it was, like, hilarious, like, the HUD house and all that. So racist. Like, I, I feel awful now looking back on it, because I really... Why don't you explain uh, who this is to the end of the show? Uh, Manny Villalobos was this guy who wrestled in Global, and Manny Fernandez was helping book, and obviously Manny likes to book heat, so, like, he books racism. So, basically, <laughs> the idea was that, uh, Manny Villalobos was living in an underprivileged housing development <laughs> and basically uh, trying to wrestle his way out of uh, an uh, unfortunate living situation. And, like, it was just so racist. Like, And he'd go on TV with a picture of his beautiful new <laughs> Section 8 home. Yeah, and it was re- he was really good in the role. He's actually really good at just being all like, oh, I'm so proud that I have this house now and that yeah, he he was great in the role. Like he was, it was not. Thank, I thank you. I, it was not. It was, it was not akin to uh, what you know about Pito <laughs> Anyway, it was not. It was not. Uh, it was not much different. It was not unlike when Tito Santana and Ted DiBiase did a similar vignette later. Thank you so much. And uh, it's one of those things where I actually wonder whether one got it from the other. Because they were very similar in the racism, I feel. Well, and then with the and then the Ford dealership, which I'm going to guess is Westway Ford, because isn't that the one they always used to name on world class shows and stuff? Gave him a car, and then Manny took what was it? Really? An axe to it. Manny took an axe to the fucking car, man. Yeah, that was crazy. Here's here's something to think about: is the most successful person that actually got their break in global, Brandon Baxter. And if so, did he do so by getting out of the wrestling business? Ooh, that could be accurate. What's the? Uh, I don't know what he's up to these days. He's, he's a very else. successful DJ in the Jonesboro area. Oh, sweet. Huh. Good for Radio Brandon DJ. Baxter. I, I think Brandon Baxter did the right thing running 
screaming and yelling away from the wrestling business. I can't, can't wait to do it myself. So it's like, uh, <laughs> it's one of these things that sometimes you just have to, uh, get far away and then have a, uh, a nice bunch of memories afterwards. But yeah, good for Brandon Baxter. What a strange path through wrestling he has. He goes on TV as the host of Teen Beat. <laughs> Was that the- right? Yeah, you don't remember that? You, you, what, yeah, I remember you, that more than I remember Brandon Baxter, the heel manager. He was was he right. the USWA thing though? No, it was a global thing. And then would you stop? Oh my God, he wasn't global. Okay. No, you're confused because he ended up moving to Memphis, and that's where okay. it settled. Yeah, but he was Teen Beat. I do remember Brandon Baxter, like young looking kid, like zits, like the poofy hair, and like. He played the role well. He looked like a, a like a sixth new kid or something. So like he was like the teen beat. And what would he say? Like oh, people he just give, throwing panties at the uh, handsome stranger. Like what, what would they talk about? He would just give updates. I don't really remember. And sometimes for some reason it would be in like the tiniest box possible on the screen. Like the match would be taking up like ninety percent of the screen, and then taking up like five percent would be Brandon Baxter's face talking. Oh, these are a blast. I love talking to you, Bix, because you have such good memory about this shit that, like, I'll never, like, like as I quoted earlier 30 years ago. Now, here's the question, though. Better uh, pro wrestling team, team correspondent, Brandon Baxter or Duana? Oh, Duana. Oh, Duana all day. Yeah. Duana. <laughs> Man, and the boys are, yeah, Duana. Like, oh, do you know that we that we finally found out who Duana actually was? Did I tell you I knew oh. someone that was railing Nurse Goodbody? <laughs> <laughs> No. All right. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it too thoroughly. Wait, 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 Nurse Goodbody was... She was an IWCCW I thought that was Nurse Vanessa. Nurse Vanessa Goodbody was her name. Okay. And who was it, it, Dr. Feelgood, that she... She certainly did. And she's feeling really good these days. (laughs) I literally literally was talking to someone I know that... Yeah. Like, current day, like... And this is like years ago, even. But like, I know, I know some people. But uh, yeah, so that sounds. Is this like a fellow a New England indie worker? Uh no. But I will say that she is in the uh, the tri-state area. But uh, okay, just stop thinking at I'm like in my head. I'm like, oh god, it's not Bob Evans, is it? Oh no! Oh, my <laughs> god, that was that's too perfect. But uh, apologies to our friend Bob Evans. Yes, just 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 Josh and you, Bob Evans. Hangs with Bob. Uh, so. Yes, she's still around. <laughs> and, uh, no Donna, though. If I found out someone's checking Donna, forget it. Oh, so uh, she was like Tony Rumble's niece or something. Oh, no Donna? Yes. Wow, look at you. See, that's what I, I, I like. Certain, felt, like people, memories certain, certain people wonder about these things. Vic finds out about these things. Like, <laughs> no, someone else found out, and then someone else mentioned it. Still, though, that. you have an eye to figure things out. That's good. Uh... What other things do I want to know? Jesus. So Donna was Tony Rumble's niece. See, that, that's what I thought we were doing, believe it or not. Like, I, I, I swear to God, when I read my private messages and these things get set up, I know. But for some reason, like, I thought it was going to be IWCCW. Because I made like, <laughs> get them confused. But, like, I honestly was expecting to, like, regale you guys about Curly Moe and fucking... Uh, because Gustavo the Giant, so I worked with DeMont. DeMont came in with, like, all those guys. So, like, you know I was, like, constantly hitting him up for stories. But, uh, yeah, IWCCW. 
I gotta ask Damon if he knows Donna. <laughs> Wait, I didn't, Donna I didn't showed up know. in the NXT Women's Division. That would just change everything. Wait, so he was in ICW. Demont was Equalizer Zap. He might have been, and he was also Big Sweet William. That uh, Yeah, he was Big Sweet William, and it was like him and Dreamer and uh, Young Bubba Dudley and him and Mondo Clean. And then he had the tag team with uh, PCO down in Puerto Rico. So I had, like, a ton of good Puerto Rican stories from him, too. He, uh, yeah, he had, me and DeMond always got along on, on the wrestling end of it. Like, I always liked talking about all this stuff, because he loved that I gave a shit. Like, his first match ever was a Bialo the Giant. Wait, so Bialo the Giant was Giant Gustav or Curly Mo? Uh, Giant Gustav. Okay. Bialo the Giant was, like, the six-foot-seven giant, like, Uncle Elmer S. fat guy, whereas French Curly Mo was like this little PN News. Right, French Canadian guy, right? Ah, uh, okay. don't know the ancestry, but he was just this short, fat guy with a bald head, as you might imagine Curly Mo would be. But Gustav <laughs> the Giant, man. Or no, Bialo the Giant. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, 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 I'm not sure if we've answered this yet. Yeah, I've I think you're still them. telling me they're both. No, Bialo the Giant, I think, was Giant Gustav, ultimately. Okay. Although, I, they might be two different giant humans. I, I, I think that they're the same guy, though. Because Bialo the Giant died in, like, 92 or 93, though, for sure. Okay, right, whereas uh, well, maybe Curly Moe is not... Still among the, yeah, Curly... Well, I'm sure Curly Moe, he has to be dead, right? He's, like, so... No way, he lost all the way. <laughs> what? Yes. Wow. Years ago. So not only did you find out that Donna was rel- like relative to Tony Rumble, but we also found out, roving reporter Bix, that uh, a man, Curly Moe, got lap band surgery, and he is now 192 pounds and living in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Unbelievable investigative reporting from Bix once again. That's crazy. Well, good for him. Good for him. It works for a lot of people, so that, that's cool. At least some of my investigative reporting doesn't get me heat with the biggest star in the history of professional wrestling. Well, there you go. You know what? I uh, I got a lot of heat. I talked some shit on him, too, and I got so much heat. I just don't... I mean, I don't wish ill on the guy, but I just... I think he's a piece of shit, so that's... I, I, verbal, I verbally tweeted that, and man, not since Russo's crew did they come out of the woodwork to get me with that shit. Oh, man, I made friends with Ed Ferrara, by the way. Ed Ferrara's a great guy. I can do without Russo, but Ed Ferrara, I got all the time in the world for that guy. Oh, Ed Ferrara's a really nice guy. He's, yeah, he does come across on podcasts as a Oh, he's a, a sweetheart. He, I even told him, like, dude, Vince wants to, like, punch me in the face. Like, ah, I get it. <laughs> Don't worry about it, man. You're a good guy. I'm like, oh, hey, thanks. But uh, I love me, Ed Ferrara. <laughs> and, like, JR was in the same room, too, so... It was cool, like, hey, Naylor, you little shit. And then, like, you know, then, like, meet back up with Jim Ross and... Then having Ed Ferrara in, in the same room trip. But yeah, I like them both. Quality humans. Also, none of these people worked for the Global Wrestling Federation. Not a damn one of them. <laughs> We're just going to go on because we don't do this often. But uh, who else was in the Global? Well, the, the, Sam the Houston. Yes. I saw Sam Houston. Sam Houston won a goddamn Battle Royal in Dallas. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, he's still among. And I saw him also at the uh, Carolina deal. I saw Sam talking with uh, Bill Dundee, and I just got, you know, fuzzy memories of Central State. But, uh, yes, yeah, Sam is still among the uh, the wrestling. 
And I thought Sam Houston was not at his best in the global. It's probably on his decline as a worker. But well, it's probably like the the peak before the fall because he was like he had filled out physically and he was still pretty good, but right yeah. before the end. And so, I guess it's the only time that he was aligned with Baby Doll on TV anywhere, right? Oh yeah, that's accurate. That's good. That's true. And I also like that they kind of told the truth about Rock and Robin and him. Right? Did, they, did she come up in Gold? Oh, well, I guess they did on commentary, right? They said that he yeah, was... Yeah, I think they, they exposed the whole Jake-Sam-Robin thing on commentary, because that was another thing. Their commentary was always unique, because they kind of were shooting. Right. They <laughs> they were shooting to shoot. But no, they weren't, though. Like, it was, it was all very, uh, very honest. So I remember well, they would, yeah. I loved the Stephen the Truth thing because they would talk about, and Pedicino, they'd talk about other promotions, and I thought that was cool. Because they, they, were, they, they were pioneers in that sense that they would talk about the competition. Which is good. That's what everyone should do. Like, I'm still, and I've pitched this a million times with a million different people, I'm waiting for the network to do a literal wrestling show that's not about the wrestling on the network. Like, they can, and they should. They should do a talk. Because people will watch anything, you know? The right person there doing it. It's dialogue, and they get enough hits now from indie wrestling fans that I think it's actually be a viable thing to put on the network. But they give that two more years like my Cruiserweight idea. <laughs> I often wonder why they don't have a game show on the network. Like, some kind of trivia thing, and why Rob's not hosting it. Oh, that'd be great. You know what? Put me in the archivist, Ben Brown, and we'll... uh We'll talk, whose wrist tape is this from 1990? You know, they, they wouldn't micromanage the shit out of it, though, yeah, to the I point know. that it would just be the world, the easiest questions. I know. You know what, though? You know what's weird? I, a bunch of producers pull me aside in uh, Dallas, outside the Hyatt, and they're like, teach us. Like, WWE producers. They're like, Naylor, man, we, we weren't there when you were there. Talk to us about wrestling. I'm like, well, okay. So, like, we just sat until, like, six in the morning watching the nasty boys come in from a bender at this Hyatt and sure enough <laughs> like one of the things uh, that got brought up was they're like name seven intercontinental champions that never were in Wrestlemania and I'm like I have no fucking idea they're like oh well you see our uh, like I don't know any current stuff which is why I would be awful at any kind of recent show because I couldn't tell you like the last three world champions if there was a gun to my head. I had no clue. And even when I was there, I remember, like, I, I just felt so stupid. Cause I didn't know any modern-day stuff. Like, I could tell you the Honky Tonk Man's first eight title defenses in the Garden back in 87, but I got no idea, like, who Triple H beat at, like, Consequences 97 or whatever. Whatever their pay-per-views are even called these days. But, like, that was always, like, a big impasse in me. We're like, you don't know history? And I'm like, oh, I know history. <laughs> Like, I can tell you, Private Terry Daniels and uh, how long he went with uh, Skolan's kid in Poughkeepsie in, you know, 87, but I can't tell you shit about, like, what uh, Alberto Del Rio did last year. Like, I was, you know, different eras, different people liking different stuff. And yet we remember all this stuff from Global when they had five, well, no, they actually had seven different shows a week because they had five on ESPN and then two in syndication. Yeah, it's wild. And we cared, though. Or we would tape it and we'd watch it more than once or something. I, I don't know what it is. Or I, I would I would read the PWIs and 
later on, I would just read the observers, and I'd read them more than once. And I think then I would just learn stuff by proxy by doing that all the time. But uh, it's just fascinating to me how little modern era stuff I really know. Like, I know... Yeah. Go ahead. I miss all of the PWI stuff where they would be like, here are some top independent... Here's an article about the top independent wrestlers, and it'd be like... Here's Ron Cumberledge from South Carolina, and then you'd watch WWF TV, and he's doing a job. It's like, hey, hey, that's Ron Cumberledge. Yeah, and, like, I talked to Scott Taylor recently, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, like, I'm not going to go up to him and ask him for two cool stories. I'm like, nah, dude. I'm like, let's talk about, uh, what's the guy that had one strap and took the cactus bump to the outside? Chris, Chris Duffy. Duffy. I'm like, tell me about Chris Duffy here. Let's talk about... Uh, Brian Walsh and, and, and all the guys in the Kowalski era, you know, not like Triple H, but like everybody else from the Kowalski era. I'm like, let's, <laughs> that fascinates me. And like, he got a kick out of it. Like, I'll bring up Freight Train Fulton or, you know, <laughs> Bill Wilcox. And like, he's just popping for all this stuff. And I'm, and he's like, well, all right. But I, what a sweetheart that guy is. Scott Taylor. All the time in the world for Scott Taylor. He's a great guy. But, he, uh. He worked on John McAdams shows, right? Sure, I'm sure on those ECW shows, right? Yeah, yeah. He if he wasn't on him, he was around him, like Tony, Tony Roy and all those guys. But uh, it, I, that's the cool thing with me with talking to these guys. I, well, I randomly bring up all the old names, although you know I will mistakenly uh, call Jesse Ventura's actor guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Niles, yeah, Niles and Nasty Ned, Nasty Ned Brady, but uh, Ned Brady would have been great in the GWF. <laughs> that guy stakes superplex, let me tell you. <laughs> he was, I'm trying to think. He, now, I, the thing I remember him the most from was that he was one of the initial Cactus Jack tag team partners in WCW. He certainly was, yeah. The jobber tag team So I'm trying to think who were his partners. There was Nasty Ned, there was Lee Scott. Was there anyone else? Lee Scott, Nasty Ned, Brady, uh... I feel like it went on more than two weeks. Yeah, maybe Tim Powerhouse Parker. Or no, there was a... I just, Pat Rose? Oh, Paul Drake. Paul Drake was like this really small, undersized jobber, wore white tights, balding. He took like the cactus clothesline over the top, first time I ever saw the fat, and then he took the elbow off the A for two. But yeah, Paul Drake was another one. By the way, do you know the story now behind why that whole angle happened? Cactus beating up his tag partners? Yeah. No, I don't know. Fournette revealed this on the KFA commentaries thing about 89, that him and Kevin Sullivan were on the booking committee, and they were the ones writing the TV, and they could hire the job guys, but they couldn't get, I mean, they, they were the ones booking the job guys, but they couldn't get anyone hired. So their idea was that they would bring in Cactus technically as a job guy to get him hired because they would have him to keep doing the thing where he turned on his tag team partners. And that's how they got him hired. They backed wow. him in. That's interesting. Well, Isn't that great? Good for them. That, I like that if you're going to bring him in that way. I mean, that, made, that made me an instant fan of his, too. It was just like, it was such a, of Cactus, it was just such a weird thing. And then, and then the Lee Scott thing was oddly memorable and... You know what? We got we got to mention the cartel a little more. We're done. We should because they were they were the big heels early on, and it was a, that was a really good heel stable. It's Muck and Sing. He was, you know, first they're saying, "Oh, Norman's coming in," and then no, he's he's heel. He's Muck and Sing, Cactus Jack, Rip Rogers, and Scott Scotty the Body, Scotty Anthony. 
they were they were really good together. I wish they could have done more with them instead of running out of money and not being able to fly in anyone from Atlanta anymore. Yeah, I think Muck and Singh gets a bad rap. Look to the Bastion Booker. Yeah. Yeah, but like a lot of the New Age wrestling fans, even with Norman, and even people in the business are like, Norman sucks, right? Norman did not suck. I'm like, you suck. Like, I, <laughs> I like Muck and Singh a lot. Like, to me, he's nowhere close to Tenta or Bigelow or those guys. But I enjoyed Muck and Singh. Muck and Singh was more of a Blackwell-esque big man who would take big bumps, and maybe some people don't think that's the right philosophy for a big worker. But, like, I liked him a lot for what he was. But Muck and Singh was great. Like, I wasn't the biggest Norman fan either, but, like, he made it work. What's that? He wrestled Pilton. Like yeah. yeah, and he, he, I, I liked him, but, like, you know, I just I read a lot of people being dismissive or not liking uh, uh, Mike Shaw. Period, and I'm just like, Mike Shaw is great; he's fine. <coughs> but he was and, my favorite stuff was probably him and Scotty and and Riff and uh, Cactus playing off each other it was great. I would say that's my second favorite. I'm still partial to the Owen Hart stuff. This is his best stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He, yeah and you, anyone who's never seen him in Calgary, or especially if you've never seen him as, as anything other than Bastion Booger, go look up Muck and Singh versus Owen Hart on YouTube. Now, in the last uh, time we did this, Rob was going on about fucking Singh, too. <laughs> I do not believe it was in Global at this time. Oh, no, wait, there was, there was Muck and Singh and fucking Singh, indeed, yeah. No, but yeah, oh, Vulcan Singh in uh, Gary Albright, yes, in Calgary. Yes, Vulcan Singh. Yeah, That's not how it's pronounced, right. though. No, fucking thing is in the uh, GWF porn parody coming soon. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, fucking thing, man. He's a real thing. In my mind, he was a real thing. Uh, yeah, he wasn't there. Abu Wizal was not there either. But, uh, yeah, who else let us think? Billy Black should have been way bigger star. It sucks that he wasn't. I liked him. I thought he was a good guy. Uh, we had a lot of uh, kind of the wacky stuff. Yeah, let's talk about the wacky stuff. Yeah, we um, we we should get into the the bungee. Match well, so, okay, here. so were you guys like me and they were talking about the bungee match and you were and you were thinking, oh my god, this is gonna be the best thing ever. I was you intrigued th- by it. I I yeah. didn't really understand how they could do it. Then when they did it and the way well, because they, they couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it was so poorly done. I mean, here, there's a camera, fucking. 100 feet away from what's happening, and we're just going to try to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. It was, uh, why don't you get into the, the backstory somewhat of um, <laughs> why they had a bungee match. Okay, so I, I don't remember how Stephen Dane turned heel. So that's the one part I don't remember. Yeah, that's somewhere he where... just suddenly a heel? I'm sure he turned on Chaz at a tag match or something. And okay. I don't think there was any real creative behind it. I think he's turned on. Also, he was he was. It's weird. I love those matches he had with, with Eric Embry, in like '88. Oh yeah. When they had like that best out of three series, and then he was never good again ever. <laughs> no, Stephen Dane Casey. Otherwise, yeah. I wonder what he's up to. Maybe he was in Dallas. We don't. I love that everyone's in Dallas. Those matches were really good too. Like it's weird. Like I know Eric Embry was great and all, but. It's a, it's weird that he never had anything remotely rem- memorable after that. <laughs> in ring work. Yeah, aside from being like a discount Stan Lane, he never really stood out. Okay, so he's a heel and he's shooting with Chaz and his 
his valet is Alexis, who is a stripper that they brought in as Chaz's ex-girlfriend. Oh, and I never heard. That he was the whole thing at the center of it, and then <laughs> they did. So they're going to have this big match that Chaz will sign whatever contract they they want. And he just looks. I mean, he signs the contract without looking at it, and. It turns out it's a bungee match 175 feet in the air because Alexis told Stephen Dane and Skandor Akbar that Chaz is afraid of heights. And, of course, the great moment in all this where Chaz stage whispers to announcer David Webb, I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. And David, uh, David, wait, was it David Webb or Doyle King? I think it was uh, David Webb. No, it was still Webb. David Webb, yeah. And he's like, Chaz, you're afraid of heights, Chaz? <laughs> and Chaz is like, still like, don't tell anyone. Yeah, it was so, really bad. So they start pushing this whole thing, and for weeks on TV, and it sounds like this would be the best thing ever. I remember it was during summer, went to the pool, made sure to get back in time, and they had a match in Zubaz's pants <laughs> in the little bungee cage that people would do the bungee jumping out of, which was about, what would you say, about seven feet by seven feet at most? At best, yes. There's a referee in them, special referee Kevin. That was his name. <laughs> special referee Kevin, who was actually a guy from the bungee company, making sure that they didn't die. And they proceeded to just kind of hold on to each other and punch each other for eight minutes. And they did have a camera in the thing, though. They did. They just didn't use it most of the time. No, I don't so then, remember any of it. Yeah, so then it's David Webb and Manny Fernandez just craning their heads up in front of the camera, <laughs> just like... <laughs> What a spectacle this yeah, is. David Webb. Well, and if she just says over and over, the first, world's first bungee jump match, a hundred. <laughs> you know, there, that's his whole commentary, because I don't see anything. And Manny Fernandez is with him on color. Manny Fernandez, who would eventually hit him with a microphone, give him amnesia, and make him think he's Elvis. Yes. Oh, that happened. Yeah, okay. I do remember that. And Chaz shoves him out, and then Stephen Dane, on, while he's on the ground, and they're lowering it, starts shaking the the, the thing and Chaz falls out and cuts this amazing pro- all this is on YouTube by the way which it, it makes this much easier than uh, no wait it's all, like, first of all this is all the no offense the worst wrestling of all time like all of this <laughs> it's just so fucking abhorrent like I hate it but like real quick like Gaston B. Mead all this shit is just awful uh, but like now I'm perversely wanting to go back and watch it again uh, is there, like, a YouTube of this all the worst shit? <laughs> there might be. I mean, I know I uploaded the, all the bungee stuff years ago. Oh, yeah. good. Let's get a cheap shot on the line and see if he can't do a playlist yeah. of all the worst global. And this has <laughs> this amazing promo, though, where it's like, I, oh, my, I saw the ground in 3D. <laughs> well, yeah. And then, the best part, though, is where he starts trying to cut a promo on Alexis and forgets her name. <laughs> that well, girl. Tessa. Let's face it. No, she was no t- Tessa. Oh, that reminds me. I think it's on YouTube, and I have to find where it is. The legendary Mark Lawrence line, where Tessa's on camera, and he says, "Well, if I had a swing set like that, I'd never leave my backyard." <laughs> oh no! So but he's a man of the cloth. That's I know. fantastic. <laughs> Holy shit, Mark Lawrence was briefly in the Global Wrestling Federation. I think for. She was with Lightning Kid, like, once, and I think that yeah, was it. Yeah, she was. Yeah, that's right. Man, Someone, I asked would... Waltman. Someone asked Waltman what happened to Tessa. Dude, I'm going to look her up on Blender. What are you talking about? No, that's <laughs> fascinating to me. Holy shit, Tessa. 
Huh. She was something else. The peak Contessa? I put her with any other woman in the history of the business. <laughs> I, was, I was so on board with Tessa. But anyway, I'll stop fawning over this woman from night. Tessa or Samantha? Oh, now stop. You, you, come on now. It's like, it's like ice cream and horse manure, as Bobby would say. <laughs> no comparison. Uh, oh, the one thing I really want to see that I don't think I've seen ever since it first happened was uh, heel commissioner Vito Mussolini. Yeah, I got nothing. I remember it. I just don't. Well, because it, so first you have this mobbed up commissioner. That was his gimmick. And then he disappears for a while because it turns out he's been arrested. And now he's homeless and living in the homeless shelter down the block from the sports forum. Came back with a beard. back with a beard and all disheveled and like yeah yeah. Now is that Joe Castellini? Because the the Mussolini name sounds familiar too, not just because of the historical figure. Oh, but wasn't it Vito Mussolini or was it Joe? No, Joe Castellini sounds right too. Yeah, maybe both. Because I thought uh, wasn't there a Vito Mussolini? Maybe it was a different gimmick. I feel like there was. But Joe Castellini then was the commissioner. So who was Vito Mussolini? Oh, I, I'd seen that name earlier. I think I was looking someone up. But, uh, Joe Castellini sounds right, though. I think you are. Yeah, I think it was Joe Castellini. There's also uh, Sebastian, the knockoff of Jameson. Oh, fuck. This is how low we're going. We're knocking off Jameson. Yep. And I, that's what we need at the end. You, you have this guy who's hanging around who's like this real-life intellectual getting his Ph.D., and if you if you look him up, like you can find like his speeches doing like lectures on like whatever he teaches, and he's the fake Jameson for some reason. And then then he becomes a wrestler, but he he's a masked wrestler. It's obviously him, but he couldn't get a wrestling license, but he was able to under a mask. So he's Phantom X. Oh man, you know who Vito Mussolini was. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Kenny the Stinger, an alias. <laughs> what? What? Were you able to find anything if you look up Joe Castellini? Uh, let me see here. Fascinating audio. Uh, I'm trying to think. What else is? Is there anything in there that we don't really? Yeah, kind of the, the yeah Joe Castellini, the uh, arguably the first uh, heel uh, authority figure in wrestling. No, 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 no. First uh, was Tom Renesso in Memphis. Ah, uh, okay. I see. Well, an early one. An early and pioneer. An early, an early one. And the, uh, yes. Also early in portraying the homeless on wrestling. But, but if you're going to do that gimmick at any in any promotion, in any venue, at any time, it's going to be in the Global Wrestling Federation. Yes, it would. It would. Because uh, that... And I'll, I'll be, when did the whole homeless problem with that venue start? It, like, was it always? I know it was always in a bad part of town. I don't but know what was exactly. like the tipping point with the sportatorium? Oh, I always because, felt it was like Gary Hart era. Like, I would say like ninety four ish. And then, like, once the wrestling stopped and Big D came in and all that shit. Well, I guess it's still wrestling, but then Big D and them battled each other. Because that was, like, the thing we joked about the last time where... The only promotion where that has a, where the top AVK has the same name as the promotion. <laughs> That's right. 
Tyler would write about it every week, and, like, one week he'd be like, well, global, to come back, big D this week, and gonna get free tickets away. So the next week it's like, big D to come back, global, gonna get free tickets and a hot dog as well. Then, like, they would just keep one-upping each other to lose money. Just seemed like a terror. <laughs> it was like the worst promotional war of well, all Well, Global actually made money on that because uh, Greg Pearson had control of the concessions. So he could give away tickets and make money on the concessions. Ah, uh, well, there you go. It's the only stuff like that. And beer night. Well, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm down. <laughs> Man, I wish, if I got fucked up at a Global show in this fucking night, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, man, Calvin Knapp, look out. But, uh, don't look up Calvin Knapp on YouTube, for, by the way, because we know what happens when you do that. I'm sure if you looked up Calvin Knapp on YouTube, you'd find just a bunch of glorious comments in the YouTube section. Yes, yes, uh, yes, by the way, Joe, are you familiar with the Muscle Bears? Uh, I believe I've heard this discussed on your uh, fine program. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a thing. We usually close out all of our shows with the Muscle Bear dialogue. Uh, but uh, the uh, one man's Calvin Nab is another man's Jimmy Powers. Uh, but anyway, let me think. Who? Oh, so we were talking about the homeless people because, of course, if you would watch on ESPN, when something happened that ESPN didn't like, they would cut to the same shot over and over of a homeless man dancing in the, in the crowd. I remember that. Yeah. My favorite, though, was when they had the Eddie Gilbert, Terry Sims, two out of three falls match. And they, I guess they, they just took the tape that they were wearing in syndication, which had a disclaimer about the finish of the match, which was Gilbert throwing a fireball. So they had the disclaimer, and then they still censored it. <laughs> fuckers. Like, of, co- of course, I wasn't saying you fuckers when I was eight years old or whatever, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. So does ESPN still own the global footage? Well, they don't own it. It's like it's because ESPN has that whole thing where they get lifetime rebroadcast. Ah, right? uh, okay. I mean, WWE like, acquired it at some point. I'm just not sure how hmm. or where from because they always used to put that stuff in like in the uh, investor stuff when they bought a new library. That's true. Interesting. And, well, who, who owns Portland? Because someone keeps asking me on Twitter, and I want to give this person an answer. Well, there are no like master tapes, but. Don Owens' kid owns it because when they when they did the Piper DVD and they put some Portland stuff, they did say courtesy of Barry Owen or courtesy of the Owen family. That was what I told someone. I was right. Okay, good. Interesting. Right. There's no master tapes. Just bloody roses stuff. Hmm. Does anyone remember uh, Rude Dog? Yes. <laughs> An African American wrestler who acted like a real dog, predating Al Green's character in WCW by eight years. Yeah, it was pretty fucking bad. Rude dog. <laughs> Counts out when he chased a cat, a woman with a cat. <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, oh, and no. uh, they had Gary Jackson, the Night Train Gary Jackson. He uh, he took a power bomb on his head from Dan Spivey on WCW syndicated '93 Worldwide. That's what I remember Gary Jackson for most, but. Uh, he basically was, I hate that I keep bringing up Discount, but he's a Discount Coco Ware who uh, wrestled in Global. It was not very good, but God bless him. Oh. No Gary Jackson, the Nitrate, was no Perry Action Jackson is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> now, when 
Did you either of you keep getting global in syndication after it was off ESPN? No, I didn't even get it toward the end on ESPN. For, for whatever reason, on ESPN, the last time I remember watching Global was 92. Like, I didn't I didn't get any Moadib on ESPN. Remember, in, like, early 93, they just keep still showing the same old stuff over and over again. So it's like the Oil King is like, and we're going to see the Patriot in action. <laughs> like, every week, every, every day it was the same episode, though, it seemed like. And then eventually they just finally got rid of it. I mean, I saw some of it because I stopped getting Sports Channel, but my cousin got it, so I saw a little bit after. Like, I never saw any of the stuff like Coco Beware in Global, but I did see, like, the at the end where it was, like, Chris Adams as champion. And... Didn't they reunite the Freebirds? Yeah, yeah well, Gordian it was, oh. was Gordian Garvin managed by Hayes. Mm-hmm. It's, Which, that's, like, the last thing that sounded like something I at least want to watch. <laughs> right, that was like at the very end, and uh, yeah. I'm trying to think what else was going on. That oh, you had you had Brandon Baxter now as a heel manager, as a teenage heel manager, as as part of the union, which was him and who was the guy they had that did like the Armand Hussein type gimmick in global? Papoose. Yes, Papoose. <laughs> God, I'm good. Yeah, Papoose. <laughs> I, I remember him. <laughs> And they formed the union, the and what else? I, uh, Rod Price. They they okay. managed Rod Price, I think, together. Uh, now, I one see, thing, now, Bix, who are, yeah. who else on Earth, by the way, <laughs> with no bamboos on this planet? If you said to anyone else, who else did the Armand Hussein gimmick in Global? Who did and the Armand Hussein gimmick in Global? Isn't it amazing you could ask another human that and they'd actually be able to give you the answer? Like, I'm ashamed that I just knew that. Like, <laughs> baboos, for fuck's sake. So, in the nine years, though, since we did the first show, though, I've still not been able to see or acquire a copy of the Rod Price-Chris Adams match where Adams pulls Price's weave out. I yeah, don't I don't think... I've never seen it. I know there's either. a tape of it. I've just never seen it anywhere. Hmm. Apparently, it's very. Rob Price. Rob Price should have made more money than all of them. That's a shame. He never, never but made why it. Why did he just? He good worker, big guy, good physique. Why? Why did he ever get? This? I, I assume that he just didn't have the connections. I, it's weird. Like I don't, I don't completely understand it. Like I always thought him and Austin were close. But I'm sure they weren't. They were just in the same place at the same time. And they also looked alike, so maybe it was like, hey, don't infringe on my territory. But I always thought when they were teaming, I was a bigger Rod Price fan. I don't know what Steve was. It's weird. Yeah. But then Rod Price, when he was in ECW, like, it was like a different human. It was just like, mm. it was more like Skull Von Crust than Rod Price. Like, it was. Rod Price, I just remember, like, this big jack dude was a little bigger. And Austin had more charisma, obviously. But I just remember Rod Price being, like, a Tony Hallmay-style big move. Like, he's a lot of cool stuff, high-impact stuff. He's a better worker than Tony Hallmay. Come on. Yes, he was. But I will also say this. I recently spent an hour watching old Ludwig Borga Tony Hallmay matches with T.J. Wilson or Tyson Kidd, and we came away from it being like, dude, this guy was so much better than he ever got credit for. Like, I'm I'm a 
big Tony Hawley fan. Like, I don't know. I, I just, he was apparently an idiot behind the scenes, but I thoroughly enjoyed him. Thought he was good. He's no Rod Price. I, I agree. No. No. And what else happened at the end of Cobble? Uh, we didn't touch on the Moon Rock yet. Yes, yeah, so we, we didn't touch on the Moon Rock. The thing I was just in the middle of saying, I'll just get it out because there's really nothing to go, nowhere to go with it, is that the last light heavyweight champion was Samu Nishimura, of all people. That's right. Whoa. <laughs> I wonder if he uh, still has the belt. <laughs> I think I made a joke about him defending it in Muga, which I didn't get the reference to nine years later when I re-listened to the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the Moon Rock. So before the bungee jump match, they did a test launch with Maniac Mike Davis, where he's launched into the air on a bungee cord, and he came back with bumper stickers from the different planets and <laughs> other heavenly bodies they had been to. And with him, he got he had a Moon Rock, which he then used as his signature foreign object, including putting it in a stuffed animal and hitting opponents with the stuffed animal. Uh, I'll say this: out of all the dumb shit on Global. Mike Davis's dumb shit was always my favorite dumb he shit. He elevated like, his dumb shit. Yeah, he he did dumb shit right. And, like, I didn't like him when he was with his brother, the Dirty Davis, Tom Davis, or Tom Burton. I never understood that. The but world's most dangerous comedy writer. Yeah. What? No, because Tom... What? Oh, it was, okay, no, because it was Tom Burton. I'm sure, <laughs> they made him Tom Davis, though, and the most famous Tom Davis would be the, the Frank and... Ah, there you go. But Tom Burton was just like this Minneapolis guy, I thought, who was like a job guy. And then, like, he came down and he was Tom Davis. And I didn't like it already. Even as a kid, I knew they were lying to me. So, like, bastards. So then uh, they had that team. The team sucked. And then, basically, Mike Davis came out of it and then started doing the fake Jake Snake Roberts thing. On the mask, the Viper. Yeah, the Viper. He did a really good Jake Roberts impression. He did an incredible... Tom... Or... What's his name? Mike, Mike Davis. One thing is for certain. He was very good at mimicking other wrestlers. Because he did a, a wonderful Dusty as well. <laughs> now remember, he's... No, no, he did not do a Dusty. He was the real Dusty. The, the other Dusty was an imposter named Virgil Runnels. Ah, that's true. How dare I? <laughs> is that on YouTube? It, you know what? I haven't... I've never been able to find it. Like, there's a bunch of awesome... Devil Kevin Sullivan compilations on YouTube, like excellent, like hours worth of it. But those are like eighty five, eighty six stuff. You're right, and it's really good quality. But like, I've never really found a really. I, I don't think it's on YouTube. I hope it gets uploaded soon. Wink. But uh. But no, there are no good comp. There are no compilations of the actual good Kevin Sullivan Devil stuff. It's all of the I late stuff. So. I mean, some of it's good. Like, I love the stuff where they're doing promos in ITW, and the promo starts by zooming in on King Curtis's head while Nancy is giving him a scalp massage. Oh, no. That sounds Stuff awful. like that. And also, I think it was Kevin and Fallen Angel hosting Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling, and it's like, hello, welcome to Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling. I'm Fallen Angel, and here's my master, Kevin Sullivan. My master. I love it. That stuff's really good, but I mean, it's not... I've always heard that the other stuff was better. Like, the earlier, like, the 83 stuff. Yeah, Polynesian Pro is an interesting one. I'm surprised we never did a show on that. It's just such a weird... Well, uh, we came close enough with the Samoan show. We certainly did. 
we uh we never got into Kamala Mala. Okay, so let's start with, okay, so tell how how much convincing did it take to explain to Chris Hero that Farmer Boy Epo was a real professional wrestler? Man, it sucked because like I know I know my shit, and this is like hour eight of a car ride, and he's just like. No man, that's bullshit. Farmer Boy Epo does not exist, and I was so adamant about it. I was furious. I'm like, no motherfucker, Farmer Boy Epo is a real human. He does exist. He goes, that's the stupidest shit I ever heard. And I'm just like, he's like, he knows his shit too. Like, he's oh like, yeah, and you were playing the wrestler name game, which uh, yeah, want to explain it for those who don't know the wrestler name game. <laughs> like just the wrestler name game is anytime. You you just pick the the letter, and you come up with a wrestler who starts in that letter, and then there's other rules with the ending letter. But like regardless, we just went forever with this shit, and you can't repeat. So like it just got nuts, and then you know hours and hours later, I I, I, I feel I picked up the victory by utilizing the name Farmer Boy Epo, IPO, and. uh you know, other people claim that he didn't exist, but he did exist, obviously. And he was tag team partners with the other Leroy Brown. Yes. Very good call. <laughs> Which all has nothing to do with me and Mike Davis. Now, the thing, did they they never explained why Mike Davis suddenly became a, what's the, what's the most politically correct word I can use? Completely challenged. Yes. Uh, he just, he was unmasked as the Viper. Then he became. Like, well, did he lose a loser leave sound match first? Do not remember. I like how you, how your I'm thinking sound was to make an explosion noise with your tongue. <laughs> this is getting very, so very, firing. very late, everybody. This is getting very late. Actually, for work in like five hours. So, what what I was but, uh, I'll just finish the thought, I guess, which was the. Mike Davis, so he comes back as the Viper, then he loses the mask, and they're just calling him Maniac Mike Davis, like it's his nickname now. And then all of a sudden, after a few weeks of that, now he's specially abled. But wasn't he like like Michael Worthington Davis the third or something? That happened too. Did he even... This guy got around. I just looking at the title history, say so he defeated the Midnight Rider. Oh, which was Sam Houston, apparently. Yes, right, Sam Houston with Midnight Rider when he lost the Loser Leaf Town match or something. And, uh, uh, and uh, I remember he went later when he turned babyface. Me and Mike Davis had a crush on the, ring, the new ring announcer, Karen. Hmm. Once he eliminated himself from a battle royal so he could fawn over her. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I won't lie. Someone should do that with Lillian. <laughs> well... If all the stories we're hearing lately are true, not Lillian's on borrowed time. Well, yeah, perhaps. People have been getting pissed at her lately, it seems like. Well, you commit cardinal sins like calling someone Colin Cassidy. So, without question, so was it that she called him Colin Cassidy or that she... It seemed like there were two issues here. It was that she called him Colin Cassidy, and at least to hear Alvarez say it, she called him Colin Cassidy. So was he? Did he, yeah. Was it that she called him Colin Cassidy, or she called him Colin Cassidy? Neither of which was correct. The, it was not Big Cass, which is his name. Which is the problem now? But did she call him Colin? I don't know. That seemed to be. I would. I kind of, I kind of like. But that would make it worse. I don't know. And, of course, it's also just confusing knowing how they are with names that she would say this as the colons are about to come back. 
That's right. That's true, too. Who got All right. called Colin? <laughs> I guess. Colin Cassidy. <laughs> on Raw, they didn't, they didn't, they, they didn't play Lillian's intro on TV because she called him Colin Cassidy instead of Big Cass. And to hear, Alvarez said she called him Colin Cassidy, but I don't know if she called him that or if Brian is just pronouncing it Colin. You know what's so weird? I don't watch as much anymore. I didn't even realize they never called him Colin Cassidy in NXT, and he was just Big Cass. Like, I didn't even know when that happened. Like, I just always knew him as Colin Cassidy, so I, I found it strange that, like, he's just, like, Big Cass now. I, I didn't realize that even after that. I don't follow it like I should, but I'm, I'm so happy for those guys, though. Enzo and Cass are fucking money. It was his it was his Kurt Hennig becoming Mr. Perfect. He went from Colin Big Cass Cassidy to uh, just Big Cass. Big Cass. That's what they do. They they're they're big on just uh like a couple syllables and that's it. That's what they want. So it's good. Cesaro, Biggie. Anything left on global or I hope not. Took the other topics. Biggie and Big Cass. Oh. How come, we, they we both have, how come Big E and Big Cass have the same first name? I thought they wasn't all that. Sorry. Oh, you should mention um, feuding over pizza profits. Yes, we should. I, I don't even know if we talked about it in the first one, did we? I think we briefly mentioned it, because I had no idea, but uh, Rob filled me in that uh, Jack Tatum and Jack Victory ended up at odds over <laughs> profits. Well, so it was, I think it was the Jack... Ja- John Tame and Jack Victory were in early on, but not as partners, because Jack Victory was part of the royal family with uh, Rip Morgan, and Tatum was teaming with Rod Price, but, you know, they had teamed together in the 80s, and they had settled in Dallas. And Victory came back as a babyface to feud with Tatum over how they had opened a pizzeria together in Dallas, and there had been a a big, uh, big split over... Who the pro- who got their fair share of the profits? So, yes, they were feeding over pizza. And profits. I re- and wait, I talked about this ten years ago. You did no fucking recollection of any of this. <laughs> wow, I uh, I apologize. That is okay. Oh, and Gary Hart's, Gary Hart's wig. Wow, Don't forget that's Gary Hart's wig. Mm. Gary Hart's wig. After after uh, seven or eight years, he finally. Violates the stipulation of loser of his uh, hair versus hair, where he or loser lo, loser shaves his head and can never grow his hair back, or whatever that match was. Which is still one of my wow. favorite stipulations ever. That he actually <laughs> it's not just loser she gets shaved bald, loser gets shaved bald and never grows his hair back. Yeah, that's a lifetime of uh, that's dedication. That's yeah, also going good. bald. Yeah, it's a good step. I like it. You can't tell everybody it's late. Yeah, it's getting late. <laughs> Anyone have any more thoughts on uh, global or wrestling in general? Man, I got nothing. I just will say that I really enjoyed doing this after 10 years talking about global from so many years ago. Not 30, but a lot. <laughs> Even though yeah, I love how the three of us are so much more polished at this now, yet this is pro- this was so much more scattered and weird and awful than the first. Yeah, that sums it up quite nicely. But, uh <laughs> A beautiful mess, I will call it. Yes, if you expected us to talk just about GFW, you're crazy. Well, no, we weren't going to talk about GFW, because we're talking about the GWF. Ah, (laughs) How do you keep doing that? I was just kidding. I knew. I'm not sure you are. 
That assignment was on purpose, I swear. All right, uh, plug the gentleman. We hinted at the uh, top of the show, but tell us where they can find more of you. Rob, where can people find more of you? Hey, uh, N.I. Naylor on Twitter, highspots.com, hitting the High Spots series, FSM Magazine, uh, Evolve, Shine, Full Impact Pro, Ronin Pro, uh, probably a couple other ones too, but we'll stick to those. Uh, and that's about it. Thanks. So, does the, so, so is it, what does the NI stand for? Is it Nine Inch Nailer? Yeah, Nine Inch Nailer is my fun. So is that, so is that a reference to Nine Inch Nails or your stature or both? Uh, you know what? That is my uh, reference to Nine Inch Nails, I believe. We'll, we'll go with that. And I'm going to say this also. I think it's actually funnier if it's both. Yeah. Mm. Plus, you can also find me on Instagram at Rob Nailer, N-I-N. So... I don't really put my Instagram over too often, but it's a fun one. There's lots of interesting pictures, so check that out, too. All right. How about you, Bix? I try, I'll try not to plug too many things. <coughs> follow, no time or so. Follow me on Twitter at David Bix. Uh, lots of stuff to keep up with there, so just keep up with all my stuff there. Um 605 The Super Podcast at 605pod.com. You treat me and Brian Lasko over all sorts of stuff. Um, go through the archives. Well, all sorts of old school. school press, old, did I say old school? Old school. Could be. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> go listen to it. We've got episodes of Jim Cornette. We've got inter- ongoing interview series with Bobby Simmons, who worked in the Georgia office as Jim Barnett's office manager and referee and stuff. Ron Scholar talking about AAA and bringing AAA to the U.S. Lots of stuff coming up, including John Arezzi and some surprises, John McAdam. Just go listen to it, 605pod.com. And, of course, between the sheets on the PWO-PTBN podcast network with me and Chris Elner, each week going over the week in history, and well, you know, however many years ago this week, via the various wrestling newsletters and... Of course, just all my writing and stuff at various places. And you know what? Let's just for the heck of it. Um, I don't know when the new episodes are coming out yet, but since me and Nail are both involved with it, Colt Cabana's Pro Wrestling Fringe on How FM. Uh, mm. Check that out there. If you use the coupon code Colt, you get a free month trial instead of the usual like, two weeks. And you can use that to check out the episodes of Pro- Colt Cabana's Pro Wrestling Fringe, which is. Uh, Cabana doing, like, a storytelling thing on different weird wrestling stuff, and the first three-episode set has been up for a couple months, and I have one that I co-wrote with Cabana, Naylor has one that he did with them, and new episodes coming soon. I have one coming, Rob, you set this one out, right? Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> Wonderful. So be on the lookout for that, though, and uh, that's it. I think we're all falling asleep. I'm sure this is fascinating, <laughs> the last, uh, what you say, 45 minutes. Uh, give or take. All right, well, that's going to do it. I want to thank uh, Rob and uh, Bix very much for coming on. I'm not sure uh, for what. <laughs> quite a, uh, oh, people won't forget this, no matter how hard they try. I think we, it's amazing. The first one, we did zero preparation. This one, we also did zero preparation. If, but if I had not just said that, you would have assumed that that one was prepared for a lot. 
Mm-hmm. This one was the one. This one was not. This one actually, technically, I would think had more print. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I think I print more for the first one. Well, you did. I think we had notes anyway. I think Rob did none. <laughs> <laughs> The, the ICW had the extensive prep with the videos and me sending me that, the, yes, DVDs. That's watching uh, John Gustav at an amusement park with Sky Lolo. That's right. And the, <laughs> yeah, it's Rob's favorite video ever. Oh, that's amazing. I love it so much. They're at a poolside and they um, acted like they were at like someone's beach accident. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the I, I, everyone at ICW on vacation for some reason that's right. together. When did Sky Lolo die? <laughs> uh, you know what? Don't even tell me. We'll save that for our, our little person show. Save that for the 15th anniversary. When did Shiloh Lodi? Yeah, there you go. No, not when did Shiloh Lodi. When did pro wrestler Sky Lolo die? According to Wikipedia, 1980s. Marcel Gauthier was a Canadian professional midget wrestler who worked at... <laughs> midget? <laughs> okay, 1998. All right, thank okay. you. I couldn't get it out, but yes, 19, 1998. Sweet. All right, mystery solved. Well, thank you both again, and uh, thanks everyone. Who the hell is Farmer Brooks? I don't know who is Farmer Brooks. I think that's who he had his lifelong feud with, apparently. Oh. Well... That's a mystery for the next episode. Oh, enough of this shit. Okay. Enough. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We will be back later with more 